Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the, I think this will be the third episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, and this is Scott Peace. Did I say your last name right? Is it yeah, Peace or Peace? Peace, like green peas, but Pease. with an E on the end. Yeah. Got it, got it. Yeah, Scott Peace. So I met Scott in Events and Adventures. It's a singles group back, I don't know, what was it, two years ago? It was a while back, yeah. and we, we connected that at that one event, and then we stayed in touch every now and then, and and we became Facebook friends, and I, I've been keeping in touch with him. And he actually also, we actually met up, had lunch one time, and we just, we had a similar path, essentially, of what we were wanting to do. And that's where we connect even further. But yeah, how's it going, Scott? Good, man. Things are going good. Yeah? Yes. I've heard you got some some good news that came up. That has recently happened. Yes, I got married last Friday. That's awesome. So I got go, awesome. a week ago Friday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and how did that happen? I know we're uh, kind of going a little reverse backwards, but we'll we'll start there. So, if in terms of how did I meet my wife? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I met her on Tinder. Oh, nice. I would not recommend meeting your wife on Tinder, but that uh-huh. is how it worked for me. Okay. Um, yeah. And I met her in Mexico when I was okay. on vacation by myself. Okay. And she is Mexican. She okay. is a, she's local Latina to Cozumel, Mexico. Okay. I went there on vacation. I uh, wanted to, I, I had some PTO to use at work right. and it wasn't going to roll over. And, you know, I've taken a vacation before by myself and, and know that, you know, it can be a good time and you get to do whatever you want to do. And so I was going to go to Belize, which I love, or Costa Rica, another place I've been, one of my favorite places, or Cancun or Cozumel. And I'm a certified diver. And so I was, but I don't have a lot of diving experience, but I thought I might dive. Cozumel mm-hmm. is a good place to dive. I've, I've never done that there. And, um, but it was the cheapest vacation I could take of those destinations when I looked right. at airline tickets. And so that's the place that I picked. And that was the reason that I picked it was, it was just a cheaper flight, going to be a yeah. cheaper vacation. And, um, so when I arrived there and my phone came back to signal, um, I started connecting with some of the locals there that were on Tinder. And so, of course, I'm on vacation by myself, and I thought, you know, I might uh, see see who's here, maybe yeah. go out on a date. And, yeah. uh, and so Denise, my wife, was a cute girl that popped up, and, and so I con- we connected, and I asked her out to dinner that night. And, awesome. Um, not thinking, of course, you know, that anything was going to come up, and I was only going to be there for right. a week. Right. And, um so that's that's what happened. I, I invited her to dinner. She said yes. I, I was up front. I was like, "Hey, I'm only here for a week." Um, and we went out to dinner, and the rest is history, man. We uh, we had an incredible week together. I'm not a super romantic guy, right. but but we had what I would describe as a romantic week, and every day was better than the day before it. It really felt special, to the extent that. By the end of it, I even asked her, like, how how are we going to do this? Like, that, yeah. you know, how how can we make this work? I mean, you live here and I don't do long distance. That to me, yeah. that's not even an option. 
Yeah. Um, so that's how we met. And then I, I won't get to go to that story. I'll, I'll let you ask the questions. But yeah, no, that's freaking. I like that. I, I, I it's it's awesome that it's. I don't know. It's it's almost like serendipitous. Yeah. In, in a way, it's just you want to go on a vacation you're there and you're like okay let's see how it is with the locals and 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 the funny thing is when i was looking at the post so i'm like okay he's out i'm like man he always gets these really nice tour guides this is how like outside looking in this is my perspective on like not hearing your story one bit right and i'm like he really he gets these really nice tour guides doesn't he and he's like man this tour guide's like taking him around everywhere is this a tour guide or like what's going on here yeah. she was driving you around right and yeah, then, so i was like thinking this is a tour guide so i was like okay that's really cool that's really cool and they hit it off oh that's that's a really cool story so this entire time i was like thinking you just you randomly met her as it and she was your tour guide <laughs> yeah she she was an incredible tour guide <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome no yeah so let's let's rewind back i i, I kind of wanted to just maybe just give a little teaser there to the audience to be like hey this is where he ended up now let's rewind it back and let's let's go to your upbringing all right let's like how was your upbringing and what was the biggest takeaway that had the greatest impact on you positive or negative that has made you the man you are today man so when i think of my childhood in terms of turning me into who i am now there's some significant things that come to mind and one is that really shaped me a lot probably more than i realized in many different ways, is I was homeschooled from second grade all the way through high school. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So my social exposure was came not from public school like it does for most people. Yeah. And I, I had more homeschool than my sisters because I have two older sisters. And okay. we were all taken out of public school at the same time by our parents. So they had already been exposed to more public school because they're older. So I had the most amount of homeschool because mm -hmm. I was taken out two weeks into the second grade oh, at a wow. private school um, to be homeschooled. And so I had social exposure through our church and through Boy Scouts and also through orchestra. So I played or I played violin growing up. And, and that's the other thing I want to talk about um, that shaped me. But I was in Boy Scouts pretty much through high school. I'm an Eagle Scout. And mm -hmm. that was a form of social exposure for sure, which yeah. probably kind of saved me in a sense mm -hmm. um, from being just a complete weirdo, completely awkward. You're right. Um, and then after that, you know, I went to junior college and then I, and I use those junior college hours to transfer to a university. Um, and that's the university where is where it really was kind of like my high school. I mean, things that I learned in college for the first time were things that other people had been exposed to for years. So I was well behind the social learning curve. I was as green as they come you know, in college and compared to everybody else. Okay. Now, so that, did you, that was, go ahead. When you got to that point, 
in your life and you realize, wow, I'm really green on the social aspect of it. Did you have any resentment towards your your being homeschooled and having yes. to Yeah? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I was very against it. Which is interesting because I'm not now. Yeah. But I was I just felt like I was way too sheltered and kind of like a dummy, you know, right. compared to everybody else. And did not I even lied about it. There were some time because I hated always having to explain homeschool when I right. when people would ask me, Where, oh, where'd you graduate high school? Oh, you're from Dallas Fort Worth, where'd you go to high school? And so when I would say the truth, uh, I was homeschool, it always led into this long conversation about why and and I was just having to explain it over and over and over again. And that was a very common question was where'd you go to high school? Yeah. So finally I just got to the point in social scenarios where I would just lie and I would just say that, you know, I would say at Bell High School, which was in Hearst, yeah. which is where I, I lived at the time. And then that okay. way it was just like, oh, and then it just, it wasn't a thing because I yeah. got tired of explaining it. Yeah. So that's that homeschool, probably one of the biggest things that shaped me. Um, what, I played, where do you think it, it shaped you homeschooling? I mean, it's hard to put your finger on really. I mm -hmm. mean, cause I can't, I can't say who I would be had I not gone through that experience, but it was just for so many years. Um, I think Is it, it more like created the a independence of, aspect. Yeah. I, I think Sorry. it made me, um, there was some good and some bad. I, I think it caused me to be very assertive okay. in areas where others weren't because I had no, <laughs> I was not bullied. I was never sort of cut down to size. I was never, right. I didn't go through some of the normal negative things that helped shape some other, you know, some other people that were probably right. a little more well-rounded, yeah. a little more street smart, a little more. Yeah. I was just out there. You know, I didn't have right. any sort of a, a, I don't know what social barometer really other, okay. other than the circles I had been in, which was Boy Scouts, which wasn't a bad one, you know, right. Yeah. That, that was probably the thing that helped me get over being sensitive, but I was a very sensitive child. And so, mm -hmm. you know, had I not gone through Boy Scouts, thank God I did where I got, you know, kind of some, some, you know, like harassment, like buddy, buddy harassment and right. you, know, you douchebag, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Just normal, some normalcy, right? Yeah. Some that I probably would have been boy banter, right? Yeah, I, I probably would have been just a complete weirdo because I, I was, you know, super sensitive. Right. So, yeah. But I was very insecure, which is not totally, I mean, that's kind of normal, right? Right. You know, yes. at that age. I mean, a lot of people yeah. get there, you're trying to find yourself. Yeah. But, but it, to me, it was sort of scary and secure because I doubted everything. You know, I just felt like yeah. I had missed out on everything and so i did not want to be perceived as a homeschooled violin playing boy scout yeah in college i did everything i could to shed that part of my history in terms of how i might look to others so i joined a fraternity and i worked out all the time and you know had kind of this young male bravado and ego and cockiness and like a lot of just false um, uh, masks that, that I put on in front of others. Um, and, and that's, you know, a lot, a lot of folks do that whether they're homeschooled or not. But, oh, but yeah. for me, yeah. it was, you know, it was a lot. Right. Um, so those, so homeschool, 
violin um because I, I played violin really from four to 18. So even a longer time period wow. of homeschool. And the, the reason that shaped me a lot is because I didn't want to do it. My mom mm. wanted to do it. It yeah. wasn't, I did not like playing the violin. I did not like performing. Yeah. And my mom was living vicariously through me. It was her dream to play the violin. Right, right. And so... That was a lot of frustration. I had a lot of anger and frustration and resentment that I suppressed because I was a good kid, wanted to please yeah. my parents. So I had that conflict growing up. Um, you know, the whole homeschool thing, which we liked. We liked homeschool because we didn't have to go to school. And so yeah. to me, it wasn't a negative thing until I got out in the real world. You know, I thought it was fantastic. Right. Um, so those two things. Uh, and they all had their positive and negative things. At, at homeschool wasn't all bad. Violin wasn't all bad. I, I think violin probably helped my brain. I think it helped me academically. It helped me, you know, probably in many ways. But, um, and then Boy Scouts too, you know, like Boy Scouts was something that I wanted to do that my parents supported. So even though I had resentments against my mom for making me do violin, at the same time, Thank God they let me be in Boy Scouts because my yeah I have two older sisters yeah. and they had their own things and I didn't, I mean what was my thing I, I didn't have sports I was very small for my age was yeah. not athletic I couldn't even play sports because I wasn't even in public school and back then there were no homeschool sports teams and uh, which there are now there's like leagues in the Dallas Fort Worth area yeah and you know big there's tons of homeschoolers in this area now and um, and so I. You know, my I wanted to go camping. I like to be outside. And my dad, yeah. sunburns, he's not an outdoor guy. He his idea of camping is staying at the Holiday Inn. And so but they both let me be in scouts. And that was incredible for me because I went camping so much during the four years I was in Boy Scouts and had some incredible adventures like hiking in, you know, New Mexico and uh, uh Cimarron, or is it Cimarron? Uh, but it's, it's um, Philmont Scout Ranch. It's uh -huh. I've camped at 11,000 feet in a hailstorm. I've camped in the snow. I've camped in the rain. Camped in, you know, I've just had tons of outdoor experiences that were just incredible. And I knew they were at the time. Um, yeah. So th those, those three things are the biggest. Oh, and religion. So th those four things. So very religious family, homeschool, violin, uh, Boy Scouts. Those four things shaped me a lot. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, on the violin, this, it's it's interesting that you bring that up to where it was, it's something that you didn't want to do, and it was kind of forced upon you, and it was by, through your mom where she wanted to live vicariously through you. I've read articles on how these successful people, the billionaires of the world came to this point in their lives and a lot of them their upbringing was doing things that they didn't want to do yeah that their parents was like no you're going to do this like you're going to learn to play the piano and right. and they didn't like bill gates was i forgot what i think it was one of the instruments that he didn't want to play but he was forced to play and what it essentially teaches you at a very young age is doing the things that you don't want to do and you're essentially craft crafting that to where okay your product now 
you're at least it's, it's good enough to where you can still perform, right? And so even though you're not wanting to do it, you're putting in the effort, you're still doing it, and you're still putting out a product out there as through your violin performances, right? And and being in attendance of the concerts and participating in all that. So that's yeah. great. And you know, and has that would you say has that translated because of that? Would you say I don't know like how how could it have translated to where you have? How could violin have translated into what to to how you are now? Um so I think it helps your brain, you know, like I, I've heard studies done that supposedly it, it can make you smarter. If, if that's the case, then it makes me wonder how dumb would I be at my, my mom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it can help your mental development. I, th- I think it helped. I have, I have good like visual spatial scores, which music yeah. really help, helps you when it comes to yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate music a lot. And, um, but it also has helped me learn what I would not do with my children. And that's, that's a judgment call that every parent has to make. Cause I do think it's good to have your kids follow some sort of a discipline, whether it's martial arts or guitar or yeah. you know, something that they, where they have to apply themselves over a period of time to get a result, especially in today's culture, because everything is so immediate. So I think oh, yeah. that that having a discipline is good, but I think if it were me, based on my own experience, what I would first do with my kids is find out what their interests are and go that route and then hold them a little bit accountable when they start to give up because it's something that they express their interest in or maybe move, you know, shift like, okay, we tried this. This wasn't really your thing, but you found out about it now let's try something else but keep them engaged in something until they discover that thing that they that they really like whether it's you know gardening or playing guitar or violin or martial arts like a a discipline i think those things are really good for mental development but i don't agree with the making your kids do yeah. something that they don't want to do because it, yeah. it does create resentment. It yeah. kind of, honestly, I felt defeated. It created a lot yeah. of defeat in me and it, it kind of almost spurred a little bit of rebellion, even though I was a good kid. Yeah. You know, I just kind of went crazy when I got to college, you know, I was good all the way through high school. And, yeah. and when I got to college, I, you know, I had a kind of a bad attitude. I didn't express it to my family, but I carried it internally. And I don't think it was the best attitude. And that was, I am going to do what I want to do. Fuck my family. Yeah. I, you know, like I wanted to get away from them yeah. and I wanted to see the world the way I wanted to see it. You right. know, and I, I don't think it was the best and it was almost arrogant, especially the more that I learned. It started to become too much. Like, like I started to put too much confidence in myself and I started to look down on other people that had, my dad and, and you know, things our family went through and that, and that wasn't healthy either. And I think some of it was just resentments I had against my, my family for things that maybe not, wouldn't have been there had, had I not felt sort of manipulated into sticking with something that I did not want to stick with. Yeah. 
and I did. I did. I felt absolutely manipulated by my mom yeah. to not to not quit violin because every time I wanted yeah. to quit, she you know she would cry, right, and tell me I was going to regret it. And then when I yeah. finally did quit, I never regretted it. Yeah, not once. I still don't regret it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I never play, you know, the violin. I don't miss it. I don't wish that, you know. So, yeah, for me, we have somewhat of a similar upbringing in a way. Uh, outside of the fact that you you were able to participate in different activities, I I too have two older sisters. Oh, really? Yeah, and so. Whenever you said that, I was like, okay, this is why we get along so well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was right there with you on when you're surrounded by all of that. You do need more of a, what I say, a manly type of role. Like, you need some, some man characteristics built in you, right? And so that's where, for you, it was Boy Scouts. For me... I and actually Boy Scouts even that manly, <laughs> you know. Right? I mean, it, well, yeah, it, it, it was it was, so. it was teaching you to be out there, about be out in outdoors, and teaching you how to how you can essentially survive, right? Like, right. Yeah. I don't think many many men can survive if they're put out into the woods right now, right? And that's pretty scary. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I didn't have that opportunity up until high school. And I I only did that because in order to get into college, I was told you need extracurricular curricular activities, right? And I was I asked this is I still remember this conversation I had with my sister. I'll go, which activities should I be joining? Like I don't know. Like I have not done anything outside of school. Like my sisters before me had either dance classes. Indian type of dance classes outside of school or the other one had choir. She would participate in choir. So I had nothing up up until freshman year of high school to where she had told me, join student council. That'll probably be the mm -hmm. best. And I did. And I really didn't participate. I didn't do anything. And then I got, I got really mad at myself. I, and I was like, okay, we're going to, because every year you have to reapply to get in. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, you did enough or you showed enough or whatever it may be, they'll, they'll let you in again. And so I had to, when I reapplied, I, I, it's a little application. I wrote everything I was going to do. And I was like, okay, I know I'm, I kind of even expelled it out. I was like, yeah, I know I didn't do much last year, but it's totally going to change next year. And it totally did. I went to every after school because uh during dance time they they do the de decorations and i went to every after school decoration and helped create the decoration and i got so involved my grades in my up to uh, my freshman year was really good it was pretty really? like 3.2 like that's pretty good in yeah. comparison to what what it ended up being <laughs> but i got so involved and i got i started to lose focus i started to gain some friends um, I ended up running for, uh, the first year was second vice president. The, Did you really? Uh, my, yeah. <laughs> my second year was, vi I mean, president. I ended up running for president. Wow. But I lost, I lost both races to the same person. 
and by a total of 10 votes, I think, if I remember correctly, 10 or 9. That was pretty close. That's how close. Yeah. And she was a lot more popular than I was. A lot yeah. more popular than I was. And the only reason why I came that close is because I had a really catchy slogan. <laughs> it was, uh, oh my gosh. Because how, how I was, how, how I told people to say my name when I was a lot younger is, it's Vikosh. So it was, oh my gosh, vote for Vikosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really catchy. I would see people uh, walking around to that voting booth with the flyer that I had made and posted up <laughs> around school. Walking around and going to the voting booth, they're like, oh, I'm going to vote for this guy. Yeah, because you that was, smile, you know? Right? <laughs> and That's so cool. it, it that made a really big impact on me. High school was probably my most impactful Really, and till this day, like I, I always think about people that have attended my high school, and I'm like wondering if they're doing good and how are they doing. Oh yeah, I remember this person. I wonder how they're doing. And right. uh, but I'll get excited if I ever meet any of my fellow classmates, and it's it's always good to see people do good. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. How it's it's those extracurricular activities do shape and it did from there and on that was the biggest impact that I had on my life it definitely changed my tra- trajectory because wow. i was a nerd yeah. ended up being a little bit more social even in yep. college i had my advisor say hey we need to get you out of your shell i'm going to get you in a communication class and so really? yeah i was i was very introverted very in my shell very insecure growing up i still have that those battles but it yeah. was really, really, really bad. Um, but man, I, I, I'm still, I'm grateful that I went through all that. I would not, I would not change it. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, back to you, back to you, back to you. <laughs> I just wanted to share uh, how how uh, how we had similar similar paths in a I way. I know. I didn't know you had two older yeah. sisters. That's crazy. Yeah. But so from then on, now you're in college. What? What made you choose the major that you chose? Um, I did. I wanted to do something creative because okay. I, I knew I wanted to get a college degree and that I would not be happy with myself, especially after being homeschooled. I was like that. I just I, I knew I was I knew I would not be happy with myself unless I got a college degree. And in my mind back then, people that didn't have college degrees got stuck in jobs they did not want to work and did yeah. not make as much money as they wanted to make and complained a lot. But at least the people that I knew that didn't have college degrees. Now yeah. I look at it totally different. I, th- I think a college degree is uh, often unnecessary depending on what you want to do. Yeah. Obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you need to go to school. Yeah. Um, but for the things that I want to do now, it's not necessary at all. Yeah. Um, but... So I, that was the reason I went to college, but I didn't know what I was going to do in college. I just knew I wanted to get a degree and that would probably help me get a better job. It was going to pay me the kind of money that I wanted to make to live the kind of life that I wanted to live. And so I didn't want to do business. If I, if I was to go back, I'd probably do business, but it was just too boring for me. And I wanted to do something creative and I thought, well, what's creative to do? Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be like a film director but mm-hmm. I figured I would never make money doing that. And we yeah. struggled a lot when I was a teenager, um, financially, my, my parents. 
and I didn't want to struggle, which ironically, I've struggled a lot in my adult life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I didn't go after the thing I was really interested in, which mm-hmm. would, would have been film school. Um, maybe I should have in hindsight, who knows, but, uh, I ended up, I thought, well, I could maybe go work for an advertising agency and be like the creative person, you know, and mm-hmm. like write, write ads. I really like the idea of like designing ads. And, um, and so, but I wanted to actually do like the ad, like write the commercial or do the the billboard or whatever. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I should probably major in advertising and minor in art. What I didn't realize at the time was that a lot of the creative people in advertising agencies actually majored in art um, and the in majoring in, in communications, mass communications with a specialty in advertising, which was, was my degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a bachelor of arts, uh, was really more like the account managers. It was more of the administrative, the, like the business aspect of it. And then what happened was that when I minored in art, I, I dropped that as a minor because I would spend, I, I had to work my way through school. I took out some student loans, but my parents didn't have money. And so I also worked, which is good. That probably kind of kept me on track really in, in college. I, I delivered pizzas all through college. Um, I love that job. But uh, I, it, I would spend all of these hours on an art project and might only get like a B after, I, after putting like everything into it. Mm-hmm. And I could get a B in like minoring in a business class after just like studying the night before for a test yeah. and, and not spend all that time, you know, in Adobe Illustrator trying to make things. Yeah. And so um, it was just art was consuming me. And I wasn't right. getting the best grades. I, I did okay. I got A's on a couple of projects, but um, it just took way too much of my time. And so I dropped that. And then I decided to minor in business and I majored in in what Texas State back then, Southwest Texas State University calls mass communications. Mm-hmm. Other schools typically just call it communications. And it is like for PR, radio, advertising, uh, degrees like that. And so that, that's just how that became my, my major. And so then the goal was just to get a job at an advertising agency once I got out of school. And I didn't know what job that was going to be. Okay. And how did that work out? It worked out good. I enjoyed that as a major. And um, business, in, like, was that able to translate once you got your degree? Was that able to translate into the job that you were seeking? Well, Possibly it didn't for me because when I graduated college, I felt lost mm-hmm. because I was so focused on college. I loved college. I loved the college life. I love San Marcos where I went to school. I loved my friends. Um, I love floating the river. I love, I love delivering pizzas as a job yeah. in, in San Marcos. Um, we just had a blast, you know, because I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, which is not the prettiest place and near New Braunfels, especially back then it was beautiful and, yeah. and everybody was laid back and I just liked the environment, the culture, the people. And so I had embraced college so hard that when I graduated, I had no clue what I was going to do. It, it, it felt weird to try to apply to jobs and I had never really applied to jobs before other than like, you know, pizza or something like that. And so to write, to really try to write a good resume for the first time and to really try and like apply back then with the internet, the way it was back then mm-hmm. and find, I didn't even know how to find 
you know, jobs. And so I ended up going to a job fair one day and I talked to a guy who worked for KVU TV in Austin, which is the AB, ABC affiliate in Austin. Mm. And they had an account manager job and it was essentially like a sales job. And I always felt like I might be good in sales. Um, and it was, it was also, it was for a TV station, which I thought was kind of cool. And he also was kind of selling the position and we had a good conversation. And so he just talked me in to applying for it. And I did, and I got the job, but that was a mistake because I actually made less the first few months there working full time than I did working part time delivering pizzas in San Marcos because it was a $2,000 a month draw commission only job, which I would never take now. But back then I thought, okay, I'll get some sale. But if you... We're not making that much in commission by the end of your drop period was up, which I think was six or seven months. Then you owed that money back to the company. And so I was just, you know, under fluorescent lights in a cubicle making cold calls all day, which absolutely sucked compared to the life I had been living in college, which was driving yeah. my car, working out all the time, having, you know, never a lot of money, but, uh, you know, always a little bit more than I needed. Versus yeah. struggling, getting paid one time a month, only netting $1,700 a month in one check. So there's no cash flow after taxes and Gosh. then not having any credit built up and yeah. needing some nice clothes for work. So I went to Penny's and all I could get, all I could qualify for at JCPenney to get like a shirt for work and a tie was $70 in credit. That's all I could qualify. Wow. And I, I had had credit in college, but I heard it a little bit. Because yeah. I went a little nuts the last couple of semesters and I started parking in the parking garage, which is right on campus and just putting it all on my credit card and um, kind of mismanaged my money, which back then I was never good at managing money. Yeah. So I just had nothing left over and I went away from all my friends. I was living in a very cheap apartment in kind of a not bad part of Austin, but near the bad part of Austin. Uh-huh. And um just by myself and working a job that wasn't paying me anything and being, and I had worked at night delivering pizzas all the time. And now I was having to go to bed early at night and wake up and work eight to five. And I was just, it, it was like a shock to my system. Yeah. So I felt, I felt really lonely and depressed and broke and shitty after I graduated college. Man, that sounds, that sounds like a lot of people's story. Yeah. They, the second they get out, they're like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. And then right. they're just working and working and and they they end up going down this road of, you know what? They they're just unhappy for long yes. periods of time. Yep. And not knowing that. And I know you're you're not you're no longer in that place. So what what shifted? What prompted you to shift and get to your next place after um, that being broke like it i was struggling so much financially and i got a couple of little sales under my belt mm-hmm. and they were about to give me some accounts which was going to help because there was people accounts that advertised regularly that i would make commissions on but there was a lot of what they call make goods and that is if you run a commercial if, if somebody buys a commercial for one spot, but then another 
buyer come out basically outbids that spot because they've got a big sale of a car dealership that weekend. So that car dealership mm-hmm. pays more for that spot that you had originally mm-hmm. paid, then you get booted. So they then you then have to go and do what's called a make good. And you have to make good those spots that the original guy bought and give give them that same value by plugging their commercials in somewhere else and mm-hmm. the same the same reach and frequency exposure they had got the first time when they when right. they purchased. And so it's just all like tedious back end work. And it's not and so they I remember right before I quit, my boss coming and handing me a huge stack of papers and they were all make goods for these accounts that they were about to give me. So it's basically going to keep me there. I probably would have made just a little bit more money and it was a ton of work and I was already overwhelmed and had no money and very lonely. And I, um, I quit. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, I'm going to go, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know delivering pizzas. I, I knew exactly how much I could make. Because that's right. what I did for four years. And so I thought I am going to go back to this and figure something else out and just not be miserable. And so then I, I went back to Papa John's and yeah. I got a really good schedule. I, I picked the nicest one I could find because I knew I would get tips and ni- better tips in nicer neighborhoods. So of all the Papa John's that were in the area, I found the one in uh, Round Rock, Texas, and I went and applied there. And it was near some good neighborhoods. And they put me on the schedule. And of course I was a really good worker at Papa John's. And so they I yeah. got more and more hours and I started working 35 hours, but over seven days. So I had these short shifts every day for seven days. And then my life was awesome again because I had an old friend of mine who moved into my one bedroom cheap apartment in Austin and he put his bed in the living room. And so then my cheap apartment became even cheaper. And then I had cash all the time again. And then we started partying every night and I kind of went back to, I wasn't moving forward professionally, but I started working out every day because I had all this free time in the day. I instantly felt better. We were going out and partying and, um, you had a life. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just, I kind of put a bandaid on, on the problem I was having at that point in life, but I was able to at least enjoy my life again, get back in shape. And then I, and then I developed some bad habits, you know, cause I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of felt a little bit ashamed of, for my professional life, not really going anywhere right after college, you know, now I already had this big hole in my resume right out of school. And, um, I started smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I never smoked in college. I was very against it. And I had a lot of my friends smoked and, you know, suddenly your life's not kind of turning out the way that you want. And, I started smoking just a little bit every once in a while. And over a period of a few years, that turned into something that was probably another one of my biggest struggles in life for from several years, at least eight or nine years, was uh, smoking cigarettes. To the point where, fast forward a few years later, it got to the point in my life where I felt like it absolutely owned me, smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like, a, like heroin. I mean, it was uh, it's probably one of the hardest things in my life I've ever quit doing was sports sounds we'll, we'll visit that topic in a bit yeah <laughs> um, so yeah so now you're back at papa john's and you're kind of living your life I, I i like this i i i think this of what you're just experienced as in story-wise back in that day reminds me of what a, many of us out there experience currently 
I've I know plenty of people that are not really happy with their jobs and they're just don't really have a life outside of work. They're just working all the time. But I always think and I believe this is if you think that there's other aspects that are also important to you and you're unable to do it, leave. Leave the place, leave the workplace that's causing you to to deteriorate essentially yourself and your identity. Yeah. And it's amazing that you knew that yourself and you were like, screw this, I'm leaving. I'm out. And and it takes a lot of strength to just quit. And you're just like, fuck it. I'm out. And it's yeah. great. And and yeah. so now you're in that Papa John's phase. And now like what made that shift, that mental shift to go, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I need to go find an actual job or what, whatever route that you took. Well, I knew that what I was doing was temporary. I knew that delivering pizzas was not a career. Like I okay. wasn't going to be able to buy a house, you know, yeah. or raise kids or, I mean, I guess arguably you could, but I knew I wanted more and, and I was capable of more. Um, but it just, you know, I was like, it, it fixed a problem temporarily but I didn't like my, still my life was nothing like it was in college. Now what I'm just living in a cheap apartment, in a bad neighborhood, in North Austin, delivering pizzas with a college degree. You know, it's like, am yeah. I, I'm not just going to stay here. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, once my lease was up, I'd signed a short term lease cause I wasn't sure what was going to happen with that job. Um, with it being a co- straight commission thing. And so I had talked to my mom, she had remarried. My parents are divorced. She had remarried in my, and talked to her and my stepdad. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to live in San Marcos and I'm not going to live in Austin the way that I was. And I didn't really have money. And I thought, well, maybe I can move back home. They say that, you know, young, young adult males are uh, the first to move back home after college and, and <laughs> they live at home the longest and they're the first to move back. And that that's true. I think I lived at home longer than both of my sisters and I, and they never moved back and I did. And um, yeah. so I've been talking to my mom and I ended up moving back home and um, kind of half-assed looking for jobs. But then I felt really kind of depressed because I was living at home, didn't have a job and I have a college degree and I'm, I'm grown, I'm a grown up, you know? And it's like, what, am and I what doing? age was this at? I, so I went to school late. Um, okay. I was 25 when I graduated college. Okay. And because I didn't leave home till I was 22 and be from 18 to 22. When a lot of people go to school, I kind of half-assed did junior college. I would take some hours here and there. And then I would like work jobs you know, and before yeah. I really committed to, to going to university. So I would, you know, cause I was homeschooled. I was fresh out of homeschool. So I was kind of putting my toe in the water when it comes to moving forward in life. And so I, you know, I mowed yards and I delivered, you know, I worked for a couple of, uh, delivery companies What i made deliveries. Um, and then I, my mom had a cleaning business for a while. I, I worked for her for a while cleaning. And then I would take some, junior, you know, classes at the junior college, not knowing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think the reason I finally, you know, looked into going to university was because by, I wasn't really doing much. Right. I was just kind of living at home. Yeah. 
not spreading my wings and not really getting a degree, just kind of taking different classes in, in junior college. Um, and so I didn't leave home till I was 22. Okay. I, I was a very late bloomer. When I was yeah. 22, I looked like I was 17. I mean, nobody, yeah. you know, I didn't get my, my driver's license until I was, I think 17 or 18, you know, I grew up very small for my age and, Sounds and a lot just... parallel to what my life was, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, man. I, just... I got mine my senior year, too. I got my driver's really? license my, the very really? senior year. I actually started college a little bit late. I took junior college first. Started a year, year and a half late. I finally graduated when I was 25. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 24, 25. And, and I'm kind of, yeah. honestly, I'm kind of glad at least I, I spread college out as long as I did because it, it was great. Like, it, like, I really did enjoy college. And I had some great friends, but that I met along the way, hmm. um, and they you know, would make fun of me for being homeschooled, and, and you know everybody like I, I really kind of found my place in college. But um, I knew people that went and graduated early. Some people who were just smart, driven, made really good grades, had full support of their parents, and they just got there at eighteen and graduated at twenty-one. Would take ridiculous semesters, and. <sighs> you know, 21 hour semesters and, and graduate. And then when they got done kind of the same thing, they, they were like, cause they, they love San Marcos too. They love floating the river and their friends too. And so when they got done, they were like, why did I do this so fast? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What was I'm the sure point? they had some resentment there. <laughs> yeah. You know, like what, why did I graduate <laughs> so quick to go punch a clock? You know? Yeah. I actually was looking forward to working. Really? Surprisingly. Yeah. I remember having these conversations with my fellow classmates in college in our in our computer lab, and quite a few of them were like, "Oh man, I can't! I don't want to go to work." I'm like, "Really? You don't? Like, I'm actually looking forward to it. This is really? exciting to me." And that's awesome. Of course, I come out. I come out in a recession recession year, right? Yeah. I graduated during a recession year, so it was very difficult for me to find a job. And um, but. I was able to find one through my dad's help because he he had met someone at a temple and he knew someone that had a very like a micro company. He only like at that time, he was only one other guy that was working with him. And so I was his other guy. Uh, So there was just three of us, a structural engineering firm. And yeah, yeah, I, I lasted there for about a year and a half. And but. Yeah, my, that's, my that's not a bad first gig out of school. Yeah, yeah, it, it it that my story is very interesting, but but yeah. So, what shifted you from what, what was that mind shift from? Okay, so you moved back to your parents. Yeah, back to your mom. Yep. And then, what did you do from there? Man, so I half-ass looked for jobs. Because, you know, I've got the good life. I'm back at home. I can sleep in, go to the gym, you know, just for a cash flow. I started working at another Papa John's. I think in my life I've worked for like five or six Papa John's. You know, it's just the the way I knew how to make money. It was easy. Yeah. And so uh, I think I started delivering pizzas, you know, and then kind of getting on the Internet. But I didn't have any drive because I did not know what I wanted to do. You know, I would look for advertising agencies, but I wasn't like they were hiring account managers, but I wasn't finding a lot. And so three months flies by and just like gone. And then my mom, I think, 
started putting a little bit of pressure on me. Like, okay, you're, I think at this point I was 26, almost 27. And it's like, okay, what are you, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> you know, like you're in your late twenties and you're living at home and you don't have anything on your resume other than your degree. And what are you, what are you doing? You know? And, um, so I was going over to Dallas. My mom lived closer to Fort Worth at the time. And I was going to Dallas each week and party with one of my friends. I nice. used to drink a lot. I don't, I don't drink anymore, but I used to drink a lot. And I was partying with one of my friends and we were going out. And I was spending so much time in Dallas and we would stay out late. And so I would just crash at his apartment and his lease was almost up and he had a one bedroom and I would crash on his couch, but his lease was almost up. And so I was thinking, what if we got a two bedroom when your lease is up? And I just moved to Dallas and I could just work at a Papa John's here in Dallas because yeah. we were having a good time. Yeah. And um, so that's what we did. And I told, told that to my mom. She's like, well, I think that's a good idea because I was I would go there in the middle of the week and then just stay there. We would drink yeah. in the middle of the week, you know, Yeah. because I'm back to delivering pizzas. Yeah. So uh, we did that. Got a two bedroom apartment. I was delivering pizzas, waiting tables, but I did not like the Papa John's I was working at. Did not like my boss. The I was waiting tables on the weekends. And I sucked at waiting tables. I did not like the restaurant. And so really all I was doing was just kind of what I had been doing, just getting my bills paid, smoking, now smoking cigarettes regularly and, um, you know, wondering where my life's going to go. And by the, and by this time I had some, some more debt that I had accumulated. I had bought getting like a, a TV set and it was zero interest. And that interest was about to kick in and it was really high interest. I was like, man, I want to pay this off before the interest kicks in. And so my only goal I had in life was just to not be in debt. And, um, so I started registering with temp agencies because I just wasn't finding anything online. And I interviewed a couple of places and, and I don't think the interviews went that great. And so, um, that's how I got into the energy industry. I was delivering pieces, waiting tables with my college degree and a temp agency knew of an energy company called Constellation Energy, which I think Constellation now it's owned by Exelon is, you know, like fortune, really good company. Like I think back then it was like fortune 119 or something. And, um, they needed somebody to make cold calls. And again, it was in a cubicle. It was making cold calls, qualifying leads for the sales guys. So I was very hesitant. I, I really kind of didn't want to do it. Cause I was like, man, here I go again, KDU all over again. But one of my friends was like, you should really go interview there. Cause it sounds legit. And what are you doing with your life? You're just delivering pizzas. And so I did. And the interview went well, and they were willing to pay me a little bit more than I thought they were going to pay me. And it wasn't quite sales. It was qualifying leads, but it wasn't sales. So I didn't have the, it, I didn't have the burden of sales. It was going to answer a lot of my financial problems because I think they were mm -hmm. going to pay me like $16 an hour, which, you know, Papa John's to average that with your gas costs and everything back then you could do it, but you know, you're putting a hard mile in your car and it was, it was tough and it was shift work. There were no benefits. And they, if I could get these, uh, LOAs, it would allow us to price people's electricity accounts. They were going to give me a $50 bonus for every one of those that I got. And so I thought, well, it's not sales, but if I get these LOAs that people send these, if I ask for them, this could add up. I mean, if I got like mm -hmm. four in a month, that's 200 extra dollars. And so I accepted it. And it was a temp job. 
And I didn't want to accept a temp job, except it was guaranteed three months of three or four months of work, the temp period. There was the possibility that they would make me permanent if I did a good job after that. But even if they didn't, it was going to allow me to hit my goal. What they were going to pay me was going to allow me to pay off that TV set before the interest kicked in. So mm-hmm. it aligned with my goals at the time, which were small. It was just to, mm-hmm. to get out of debt. And I didn't have a lot of yeah. debt. And so that's what I did. I accepted it. It was very scary to me because I was working with smart people who they still work there. I mean, these are guys back in 2004 in that office where they hired and they still work for Constellation. I mean, it's a legit industry, legit company. And um, they, I did a good job. I, I was on the phones. I was scared. I was really scared because everybody could hear my conversations and, and I didn't know anything about the energy industry. And so sometimes I would get people on the phone who would tell me things I was asking about, but they would give me even more information than, and as I had no clue what they were talking about. And so I, um, was just started asking the guys like, you know, Hey, what does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. And the reason I was successful there is because I, I worked, I, I worked hard, but I had a really good group of professional men who took me under their wing, saw the potential in me and would answer my questions and help me. And that helped me grow in that position. And, um, so they made me permanent after four months, they made me a job offer. And I think they offered me 40 a year. And this is back in, uh, probably December of 2004. And so $40,000 a year, which was more than what I was making with the LOAs that I was getting in my apartment that I, that we had moved into a two bedroom apartment, me and my friend and our rent was cheap back then. My car payment was cheap. I'd refinance my car. So I think my payments were like $170 a month. And so even after taxes, that 40 a year just felt like so much money. And and honestly, it really kind of was back then compared Mm -hmm. to now. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. now that's probably more closer to like a 55 a year, maybe income. I mm-hmm. But um, I suddenly I just I didn't have to wait tables anymore. I did for a little while. But once they made me permanent, I stopped waiting tables on Saturday nights. I, I wasn't delivering pizzas anymore. And I was working normal hours. And I was living in a town that I liked. And then so then I was a little bit more structured. I, I would party on the weekends. Um, but I loved Dallas. I mean, I loved living in Dallas back then. And I was there with one of my best friends and he knew a lot of people and we went out all the time and I had income for the first time, like, like yeah. really like, you know, pretty good income. There wasn't shift work and, and it made me permanent and my, it looked good on my resume. It was a solid company. And then I did well enough at that job that they promoted me into sales and then I did okay enough at sales. I started getting commissions on top of that. And then I was like, then the, I was kind of shocked. I was like, okay, this is how people actually make money. Like <laughs> I've never had barely more than I needed at any point in my life. And, mm-hmm. and it, now I can like, I can go get a new car. And I did, I got like an accurate TL and I started buying nicer clothes and, and man, I thought I had arrived, like, because I started making commissions and sales. And I think I made six figures in my late twenties. And I never thought I was going to make six figures that fast ever. And I, but on the flip side, there were some negative things. I also was got really kind of cocky. I thought I had, I thought I had succeeded like 
Bill Gates. You know, yeah. like in my mind, I was just like, life is my oyster. Life. I yeah. made six figures. I wasn't even trying to make six figures. You know, I, yeah. like I, I thought my shit didn't stink. I, I thought I was special. I thought I was smart. I thought, you know, I have made it in life. And that, that really is yeah. how I looked at it. And that was all in my late 20s. And my biggest struggles in life came in my 30s. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, so it's when good, did, it's when did the wall humbled. hit? When, when did the wall hit that that made you get humbled after all that? Uh, like- I, so I um, worked at Constellation for, I think, five years, you know, just tore it up in Dallas. I mean, you know, absolutely went down some some paths, some very, very dark paths. There, were, there was a lot of alcohol involved. There were some drugs involved. Um, you know, it was very promiscuous, um, cocky, arrogant. You know, I had, at one point I had some tailor-made clothes, smoked a ton of cigarettes, and, you know, I was partying so much towards the end, it was interfering with my work life. You know, there were a couple of days oh, where man. I missed work because I partied so hard. And, and I wasn't working like I knew I should, but at the same time, I was also kind of burned out. Like, is this all there is in life? Like I never really knew what I wanted to do. I, I never necessarily wanted to be in the corporate world like that. Yeah. And so I guess if you rewind back to my teens, I wanted to do creative stuff yeah. and I, and this yeah. was not creative stuff at all. And yeah. so, yeah, I still had fantasies about, you know, maybe writing, directing, being an actor. And so, uh, I had kind of slacked off at work and I got laid off after the economy thing. So in, uh, after 2008, in March of 2009, I was underperforming that year and they put me on the, a layoff list and I was underselling compared to my peers by then. And I had done Man. well, but at that yeah. point I was underselling, but I was okay with it. I saved some yeah. money. I lived below my means. Um, yeah, I'd never got an expensive apartment. I, I never got a super expensive car. I had things I liked. I had nice clothes, but you know, I, I always lived below my means. Um, I, I had debt. My car was my debt, but that was the only debt that I had. My car, my student loan. Um, I, I don't think I had any credit card debt. And um, you know, so I had. I think I saved up, not counting my four hundred one k, like twenty grand liquid. And again, to me, that was so much money. Like, I just thought I'm rich, you know, like I've got all this (laughs) cash. And so when I got laid off, I partied my ass off in Dallas. I went to the gym all the time, went out all the time, drank a lot. I think I did cocaine, you know, like I I was living that life, that Dallas life. And um, I thought I'm going to go be an actor. You know, if I succeeded this much, you know, in the energy industry and I didn't even want to do it. Like imagine how much more I could succeed following my passion. You know, my passion is to do something creative. Mm-hmm. And so I packed up, man. I packed all my stuff up. I took the money I had saved and I moved to Los Angeles and tried to be an actor. But once I got there, I was scared because my, my world changed. All I kind of like when I left college, all of my structures that made me love my life weren't there anymore yeah and by choice right you know i got my degree it was by choice but then you know, first job out of college it, my life that things i liked about my life didn't resemble college and same yeah. thing i left dallas i liked my life in dallas thought i could do anything the world was my oyster then i moved to la 
totally different. I didn't have the constellation income, never made that kind of money for, and wouldn't for years and years and years after that. Um, slowly sifted through all the money that I had saved because I was used to living life a certain way, but, and I, so I continued, none of my habits changed. So I continued yeah. living like I was in Dallas, but I didn't have the income Yeah, and I got a job, but it didn't pay, you know, like working in the service industry, you know, cause my cousins got me a job out there, but, um, it didn't pay what it used to pay. And then I had all these vices, alcohol, cigarettes, you know, no structure. I was always a good employee if I was accountable but let it to somebody else, had to answer to a boss, but left to my own devices. I had not developed on my own. I had not developed any sort of self-discipline structure. Yeah. You know, if, if I don't have to answer to anybody, I had no governing sort of system. As long as I had a boss and I had to be somewhere at a certain time, I could do that. Cause I've been doing that since I was a teenager, but on like truly on my own, you know, how, how, what did I have? And I didn't, I died. And that's when I found out what I had. And it was not a lot. <laughs> I had my wits, but I didn't have, I didn't have good habits. Um, you know, and that, that's really when I fell flat on my face was in LA. I, I did some cool things. I did some professional voiceover. I did a national commercial. Um, and, and that kind of stuff paid pretty good for the amount of time spent doing mm-hmm. it, but none of it was regular. And it never paid what I made in the energy industry. Like I, I did that national commercial I did. I think I made that $4,000 in a day, like that one afternoon, which sounds incredible. I mean, oh, wow. You made $4,000 in a day. But I mean, I that's the only national commercial I did. And it, it most of the jobs I did were much lower level than that. And I had no consistent income other than like working in the service industry and the the talent world is like the wild west in LA and I wasn't SAG. So these were non-union buyout jobs. And so it, my agent was shady. Agents can be very shady out there. It took my agent, I think 105 days to pay me for that commercial. So it had already aired on national TV and, but I had no joy. All the joy I'd had of doing that commercial was gone because I was so broke by then. And I had mismanaged my finances so much by then that it, you know, the fact that the commercial was on, did it, there was no joy in it. I, I had to, for me to get paid, I actually had to go sit in my agent's office until he wrote me a check. I went and sat there. I was like, you owe wow. me. Yeah. And I, cause I would call and call and call and they, I just was never getting paid and I needed That's that crazy. money. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I needed that money so bad was because I'd mismanaged my money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you know, like I, I, I dug the hole that I got myself into. Right. But so that's that. Yeah. That's when I really struggled. I, I went in and out of a couple of relationships out there. And then that's why I really was smoking cigarettes. I also quit smoking while I was in LA. That's that the one, that's probably one of the biggest victories. But uh, when I first got there for the first two years, I was in a relationship with a girl who uh, smoked more than I did. And she would buy cigarettes by the carton. And mm-hmm. I was already back to smoking because I had quit for a year in Dallas I was real proud about that. Felt really good about that. And then ended up smoking while drinking at a pool party before I moved to, right before I moved to LA. And then I bought a pack of cigarettes and I chain smoked all the way out in the U-Haul when I moved and then continued to smoke, got in that relationship and we chain smoked together. And then it was just this, 
life of me not going to the gym, me not eating enough, me smoking all the time, us sharing a car, me driving her to work, coming home, kind of half-assed doing voice auditions, not having a regular gig, you know, just getting broker, just sifting through my 401k money when I needed extra money. Yeah. And this is in my thirties. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of funny when you look back and you think, wow, why was I so proud? You know, I was so proud in Dallas and leaving Dallas, just thinking I am this amazing individual yeah. with all of these talents. Yeah. And it's not that we don't all have talents. <laughs> it's just that, you know, I don't know the, the war. It's good. It's good to go out and do things. Like I encourage anybody who has any sort of a dream vision, anything, whether they're going to succeed at it or not, it, it, that has less to do with it. In my opinion, it has more to do with what you will learn when you try. I certainly developed more as a, as a human being, I think than I would have had I just stayed in the corporate world at constellation because I would have continued to make good money. I would, you know, probably have bought a house. Maybe some of my habits would have changed. I don't know, but I don't think I would have grown as much as I have grown had I not made the decision I made. And I don't think I would have realized my shortcomings as much as they were shown to me Yeah. by leaving the corporate world and trying something else. I mean, I, I, I failed. I failed in relationships. I failed financially. I failed with my well, health. Wouldn't you say that's like, one of the greatest lessons though it's like through all that failure you're like learning at the same time of like wow i've yeah i, I thought everything was great did you were, were you able to understand that at that time or is it something that you understood later on in life well it was, it was kind of hitting me suddenly and a little bit too late you know that I, I think there's somewhere i read where if a person looks at and there's some proverb somewhere where if a person looks at their situation and says, wow, my life sucks. How did I get here? Which yeah. is essentially what I was doing more than yeah. once. Yeah. Um, it, and it says this question does not come from wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Like wisdom didn't get you to that point. Yeah. And I certainly got to that point. And so the learning lesson for me in terms of how I live my life now, um, was was god like i got to a point in my life after la after moving back to texas and struggling in texas and being yeah. broke in texas and still yeah. trying voiceover in texas and i would book some jobs sometimes i would book radio jobs and maybe make 1600 dollars that afternoon and think okay i mean life because life is way easier in in texas than it is in california it's, it's yeah so much easier everything's cheaper no state income tax um so wait you move back faster. right you, you went up back to Texas, right? Yeah. So I was in LA for about four years, four years. Okay. And wow, then, that's um, a long time. yeah, and I was, all that struggle, yeah, I was completely broke. So I, I think I had 20 grand liquid, like in a bank account when I went out there. And then I think I had about 95,000 through my 401k. And so I went through all of it, all of it. I was Gosh. completely broke four years later when I came back. And, um, and really nothing on my resume that could get, that could get me back into the corporate world, except a bunch of holes. And I had some talent stuff on my resume. So I was able to use my talent resume to get an agent in Austin. And I did, yeah. I got, I got a talent agent in Austin, but I never booked anything through that agent. 
not one thing. And so I was still booking small gigs on voice123.com, some, some non-union buyout jobs. And some would pay like you know $200 for a 30-second radio spot. It would lead into a series of radio spots for that same campaign. So I might do all of those spots that afternoon and record them from home and, and make a couple of grand. But that uh, wasn't, you know, most people are making a couple of grand every couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. with their job at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no regular income. And yeah. I was working just as hard to audition for those jobs as I was to record the actual job. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm still working hard just, just for that money. Even though when you actually do them, you're not spending that much time. Um, so I, so back to the God thing, I, I got to a point where, yeah, I grew up religious. I grew up in a Christian family and, you know, I, my parents divorced. I come from a, a broken home in that sense. And so I pretty, and I was homeschooled and I had a bunch of questions when I went to the world. So I had pretty much for years tossed all that to the side. Like this is bullshit. You know, this is how I grew up. This is narrow-minded thinking. I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to make it and I'm going to be smart and I'm going to figure it out. And I pretty much put God completely out of my life. Yeah. And I would pray yeah. sometimes. Sometimes I would pray if things got really bad. But, you know, every kind of like people pray in a war. Everybody starts praying when, when there's a world war. You yep. know, but then as, as soon as everything's okay, you stop. Yep. Well, so I had those kinds of prayers throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if things got bad enough. But finally they got so bad. I was renting a room in South Austin and back in Texas after LA. And, you know, I think my rent was $500 a month. That was all I could afford. I would, I had applied to get back in the corporate world just, just to have money. I didn't get, at that point I didn't care. I was like, I just need money. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't about following a dream or any sort of yeah. passion. And so, cause I had done that and it went the way that it went. And so I had so many difficulties in Austin. I mean, just stuff, so many circumstantial difficulties. I had not paid uh, state taxes if for some of my jobs in California, because I worked for several different catering companies. Um, so you could you know, only work the days you want and then have days off for auditions and things like that. So that's what you do. All the, all the wannabe actors out there, they work for catering companies, a lot, you know, most of them. And so that's what I was doing. I, and some would take out taxes, some wouldn't. I was very unorganized. And so I wasn't keeping track of all that stuff. Plus I had moved a lot because I'd been in and out of these relationships and some mm-hmm. of stuff was in duffel bags, some of it was in boxes, some of it was in a file cabinet. And so meanwhile, you know, they're keeping track. I'm not. And state of California was sending me these letters and they were following me around in these moves. I knew they were important. So I'd hang on to them. I'd open some of them. And, um, they found, they started pulling money out of my bank account when I lived in Austin. So they would find out that I had a bank account at Chase Bank or Wells Fargo. And I would go to pay for a Whataburger and all my money would be gone. And they'd be like, your car got declined. And I, and I had no credit. I had ruined my credit at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. So I had no credit card. I think my credit score was like in the 500 something. And I would go to pay for a Whataburger and it was like, you, you have no money. I'd be like, are you kidding me? And then my heart would skip a beat because how am I, you know, I going to pay for my phone? How am I going to put gas money? I'm going to pay rent. Like mm-hmm. I had no money, like none mm-hmm. until I worked my next shift. And at least mm-hmm. I was waiting tables at this point. So I would get cash. 
Um, and so then all these things happened. I had gotten rid of my Acura because it was starting to have problems. I got a newer car and then the car that I bought started having all these problems. And I didn't have money to fix them and I didn't have a credit card. And it's just, man, things got so difficult for me in Austin. But at least I was in Texas, closer to my family. And my dad was a huge encouragement. He, he always encouraged me. And I knew he had gone through a hard time at different points in his life. So I could trust the things that he was saying to encourage me. My friends would have tried to encourage me, but they hadn't been through what my dad had. So even though I knew yeah. they were trying to be nice to me, I couldn't really trust them like I could trust my dad. And um, so I leaned on, you know, my dad a lot emotionally. And he he really helped me a lot. And um, but I remember praying again. And I started asking God for help in Austin. Because it wasn't just my circumstances that were difficult. It's the amount of years I had gone through difficult circumstances and the fact that they were not improving. And now I'm in my yeah. mid to late thirties at this point. And so then it starts to, pardon my French, fuck with you mentally. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I am <laughs> like, who am I? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not doing good. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, like I'm not doing real good. You know, like I'm not, I don't have my shit together. Like none of my relationships had worked out. You know, they had all ended for different reasons. One was just crazy. I got involved with this one girl who just absolutely had major, major issues, was abused by her father. I think she may have had borderline personality disorder. Like I'm not even mm -hmm. joking. Like that's how severe her, her childhood was. I thought I could mm -hmm. save her. Like I went through some real messes during that time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember feeling like the walls were closing in on me at that, in that room in Austin. And, you know, I, I never seriously contemplated suicide, but in, I did kind of think through it. Like how, like how would I do it? Yeah. You know, like, because I had a, I had a terrifying thought and it wasn't my, like, again, I'm eating. I did have a job even though I didn't like my life, and it's, but it's the fact that nothing was working out. Like nothing was improving. In fact, everything was kind yeah. of getting worse and I'm getting older and things were yeah. a real struggle. And um, like at one point I was working two jobs just to, just to pay my $500 rent, you know? And, but then, but then you're just, you're not having any fun. No. You know, you're working all the time. And Part I could of not get, has been reduced. I, I, I could not even get interviews for these corporate jobs because I didn't want to lie on my resume. And I, I thought I was like, well, maybe I should, but how do you take all the mess of everything I did for four years, working for catering companies and doing construction, doing bartending and doing voiceover and make that cohesive in a timeline on a resume. And so I tried to use all the skills and things I had done to, to, for everything to connect all the timeline dots to connect so I could get back mm -hmm. in the corporate world. But all of the, uh, resume filters, I guess my, my resume, I didn't know how it was being filtered, but I could not even get an interview. And, and then I, so I tried to go work at like the, the cell phone store because the girl who sold me my phone was making like 60,000 a year. And I was like, that would be amazing if I could make that kind of money. Cause I was waiting mm -hmm. tables. And, um, and she was like, you should apply. She was like, you know, I, I mean, she, she's like, I think you'd be good at this and I'm making good money. And so I did, I applied at the cell phone store. I failed their test. I did it. I, I and then I had a, one of the managers wanted me to come work in her store. And she's like, well, you can't take this test again for another six months. And so then I, I thought, well, at the bank, I'll, I'll go work at the bank. That'll be more money. And so I, I was going to go work at Wells Fargo and I, I took their test and I, I failed their test. And I don't even know what oh, questions wow. I was getting wrong. 
I have a college degree. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure what I'm answering wrong on these tests, but I'm not getting a job at the bank. I'm not getting a yeah. job at, at the cell phone store. You know, I'm not getting back in the corporate world. You know, meanwhile, continuing to wait tables. And then it got really slow with the restaurant I worked at in the summertime. And uh, but also most of my battles were mental. It was all of my, yeah. my level of self-doubt was screaming at me like it had reached its peak. I mean, like I was demoralized. Like I truly, and, and so the scary thought that I had that kind of caused me to think like, maybe I should just end my life, um, was, was what if the best my life will ever be has passed and that the peak was back when I was working at Constellation, living in Dallas in the energy industry. And what if that was your best like that, yeah. that was your peak in life and that everything from here, it's never going to be that good and it's going to get worse. And I had enough evidence at that point to make that feel like it could end up my reality. Like I had mounting evidence over a few years yeah. that were starting to paint the picture of that. This could be like, it was just dark. It was a dark thought. And, and it mm -hmm. was it terrified me, and um, and I remember just feeling completely stuck because I was in Austin struggling for after LA for another probably four years, um, and there were there were times when things looked promising because I had booked some voiceover jobs and I was kind of enjoying waiting tables for a while because I was like this is physical work I'm staying in shape I'm not sitting at a desk I'm not getting fat, but then these other things would happen and I wasn't making a dent in my debts. And by then I had, I had racked up some debt and my credit was crappy. And, um, and so I prayed and it wasn't out of faith. You know, it wasn't out of this close relationship with God, like, Hey God, you know, things are great between us. You know, I'm going to pray to you and my life's going to improve. Like it, I, there was no faith behind the prayer really. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it was truly a prayer of desperation. You're right. Like I am now in my late thirties. So I, I had gone through let's see one, two, three, three failed relationships. Just and, in Austin. Yeah, between Just Austin that. and LA. Between Dallas, okay. LA okay. and Austin. Three failed okay. relationships. And I was about to go through another one because I am divorced. So, you know, here I am, not even and that's a whole other story, but but Still, I mean, it's, ta it's taken me half my life to, to sort of come to, to where I feel like I have kind, kind of a grip. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the reason I say kind of is because really it's God who's got the grip. Yeah. But uh, so I prayed out of desperation. And I asked for some things. And, and my prayer was like, God, help me. Like, help me because I'm not sure. Like what? Like I don't know what I'm doing, and um, and I can tell you this: I truly believe this. Sitting where I'm sitting now, in in this nice house in Frisco, working for Shell Energy, married to a beautiful wife, and like I truly believe God heard me and cares about me. Yeah, like I truly believe that. And when I say God, I'm not talking about Allah or all religions. I'm yeah. talking about yeah. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. That's who I, that's who I pray to. 
Some people yeah. think Christianity is a hate religion. Yeah. Personally, I do not. I've yeah. read the Bible three times. Some people think the Bible is like a, a hate book when it comes to certain things. My my thing is before you, especially if you're a Christian, if you're going to say you believe in something, you better know what the religion's about. But even if you're not a Christian um, and you're and you have ideas about something, read the book. And, and that's what I did. I, I read the Bible not knowing how I would feel when I got to the end of it because I had more of an atheist mindset. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is one of my favorite books. Um, and I've read a bunch of books. That was part of yeah. my journey, too, was was listening to a bunch of other successful people and their stories. I, I've read tons of books since then. Um, but that that's who I pray to. I, I, I yeah. pray, pray to, to Jesus. That's who I put yeah. my faith in. And, um, you know, and there's so many incredible things that the Bible says that I ha- I've seen play out. And even things like, you know, t- test what you test the things that you hear, hold on to what is good and discard the rest. And I've, I've tested scripture in my, in my own life, things that the Bible yeah. said, and I've just, I found so much, so many truths in scripture. Um, so that, that was the big change for me, even though I struggled after that, cause I struggled in my marriage because I didn't have a close relationship with God. It was still, it was still that relationship of, you know, dad, help me. I'm in a bind. Yeah. Can you loan yeah. me some money? Can you yeah. help me? And then your dad helps you, and then you run yeah. right back off and do all the other crap that you were doing, almost yeah. like you know you're, you're like being an enabler, right? right? So I was, I had that relationship with God, still kind of talking to Him when things like were going bad, but but things started to turn, and they started to turn enough that I I did kind of give God the credit a little bit because they they did they did get better. Like they did, they did start no. to turn. When, whenever you had that original prayer where it essentially started the shift, right? So from there, were you still working at that, doing all the whole juggling of multiple? Yeah, by then I had given up on voiceover. Okay. I had, I had given up, pretty, pretty much given up on it because I, I was like, man, this is not, this is not a career. Like this is a money making hobby for me. And but when it's, did it's you, just not it's just not a career. Right. And when you know? did you make uh when did you meet your your ex wife or your wife at that time? Right around that time in Austin. It's towards okay. the end. Okay. Um so one thing that I had started doing that was came from the advice of my grandmother, who is who was, she's passed away, uh Christian, and she knew how much I was struggling. And so she would send me cards in the mail and she would put $20 inside, which was a lot of money to me. I mean, mm-hmm. it really was like 20, 20 bucks. There were sometimes I could barely pay my rent on time, which was on $500 that month. Yeah. And um, she, her advice was to tithe. And so a lot to of Christians were to tithe. tithe. So to tithe, T-I-T-H-E. Okay. Tithe. And so in, in, the church or in the Bible, at least it's certainly in the old Testament. A lot of Christians are argue whether or not tithings in the new Testament or whether, you know, you should do this or not. In fact, most Christians don't tithe, but it's give 10% of your income back to God. Or so we say back to God, either like to a, like a church or a ministry or like a nonprofit, but basically take 10% of what you make and give it. 
Right. And I have read some success books, like Success Principles by Jack Canfield, who who created Chicken Soup for the Soul, who's worth like over $300 million. He talks about tithing. And I had read some other books where very highly successful people certainly talk about giving, but some of them even tithing. And there's, there's a verse in Malachi 3.10 and 3.11 in the Bible where it talks about tithing. And it says, it says, test me on this. Like if you tithe, like I, like you will be blessed financially. And that was my biggest area of struggle or, or well, arguably um, was tithing. And so, or it was financial. And so I thought that was her advice was tithe. And I had nothing to lose. <laughs> I wasn't making yeah. a dent in any of yeah. my debts. Yeah. I was working two jobs. So Things had gotten a I, so things had gotten a little bit easier. Like I had a little bit, I was able to pay my bills. I was working my ass off. I was down to like 160 pounds. I weigh like 182 now, but like I was, I was very thin, and I was eating mm-hmm. a lot because I worked at restaurants. I, I, so I went back to Papa John's at night, and I was waiting tables in the day with all these holes in my resume. So I had enough cash that was actually, you know, I wasn't paying back the IRS or the state of California or any of my debts. Um, but I was able to pay my rent and pay my cell phone and pay my food. And so I had a little bit extra and, um, I thought, well, I'm not going to give to a church when I owe my family money. That just didn't Mm -hmm. feel right to me, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I would be honoring God if I were to commit 10% of my income towards paying back some of my personal debts, like to my mom and to my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my sister had helped me pay off a car title loan which car title loans are awful. It was sapping all of my, they're they're nearly, I think they should be illegal, honestly. Yeah. But um, they're they're ridiculous. So I felt like I'd be honoring God if I paid back them. I was like, I'm going to pay my mom. I think she was kind of struggling. So it's like, I'm going to pay my mom back before I start giving to some church, you know, and I wasn't even going to church. And so um, I thought, well, I will take that money and commit it to paying back these personal debts. And I think there's a verse in Proverbs in the Bible that says the wicked don't pay their debts. And I wasn't paying any of my debts. Yeah. And that, and when I read that, that hit me kind of strong. Like, wow, like, like wicked people don't pay their debts. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. I said, cause it's kind of like stealing really think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're not paying your debts, yeah. you're, you're stealing. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it's like, wow. So I started paying back my mom and then I started paying back my, uh, so I, I think I started with my brother-in-law, my sister. So I paid them back first for the car title loan. And I would, if I made, you know, hundred dollars, they got 10 of it. If I made $500, they got 50 of it. And I, I just stuck with the, the tent and just started kind of chipping away at my, my debts. Yeah. And, and I had prayed and within that, and that's also when I met my ex-wife or not met her, but reconnected with her. I had known her from years prior. And, um, anyway, I, I, Within about within a few months, less than a year, I think it was in within about seven eight months, um, I got a job offer. I had reconnected with a guy I knew at Constellation, who's that who is now the chief commercial officer at Shell Energy, and for for the Shell Energy Solutions um, is the doing business name brand of MP2 Energy, and David Bisno, chief commercial officer, and um, I had worked with him at Constellation. And I had reconnected. He had sent me out of the blue. He reached out to me and, and was like, Hey, what's your address? We're sending out Christmas cards, him and his girlfriend at the time. And, and they sent me a Christmas card. And, and that's how we reconnected. And so 
I was looking for a corporate job. And I was like, he knew my, my corporate resume. He knew how I was at Constellation because he worked with yeah. me. And I was like, hey, um, do you know of anybody who's hiring? And and I had not reached out about the industry. I knew I had connections in the energy industry, but the, it's not really located in Austin. You know, Austin's not a deregulated electricity market. And so most of the energy companies in Texas are either in Houston or in Dallas, Fort Worth, like the big ones. And um, there's a couple little ones in Austin. And so I knew if I got back in the energy industry, it was going to uh, pro- probably have to move you know, either to Dallas or Houston. And I had moved seven times in five years. So I was not looking to move. You know, yeah. I, I just, I was trying to still myself and get a grip on my life. But I had reconnected with my, um, my ex-wife um, before we had gotten married and she lived in Dallas Fort Worth. And so I was thinking to myself like, okay, maybe if that relationship were to go somewhere and I was willing to get back into the energy industry, I'll probably have to move to Dallas, but maybe I, maybe I could, like maybe I could get mm-hmm. a job back in the energy industry and that would be enough money. And so I talked to him and he, I said, you know, if anybody who's hiring and he said, well, we might be actually. And at the time he was working for Ambit Energy. And um, I was like, really? And so we started conversation. I think I started tithing in like September, October in terms of paying back personal debts. That was my tithe. And, um, and so, you know, about three months later, I started talking to him. And within the next three months, by that March, they had made me an offer and I accepted a position back in the corporate world. And I mean, like, it was like I had been out at sea, treading water, swallowing ocean water, trying to breathe, drowning. And somebody was just like, hey, here you go. And just like threw me like a life breath. I mean, just finally. Like, yeah. it, like it was, it was, it was unbelievable. It, like it, I, I mean, I had, there were a couple of shirts. I had like holes on a couple of my, my shirts and I, and I had not gone and gotten new ones. Yeah. And, you know, I'd suddenly, suddenly, and I had all this debt. I had a mountain of debt from the years prior. I, I got, I was on dry ground. Like yeah. it was incredible. It was incredible. I think this was 2017, March of 2017. And, um, I was able to like go out to eat. I, I could just like pay it. I could just pay my bills. Yeah. <laughs> like I could just, you know, so, it's so still you're have, working like, at still have downtime. Like, like I could like pay my bills and then like go out and eat a nice dinner. Yeah. And then not have to work that weekend. I had worked every Saturday and Sunday for the past two and a half years. And because those were the best money making brunch shifts at the restaurant that I worked at. And if I had missed a day because I wanted to do something fun, which I didn't really do, uh, you know, on the weekends, because it was just I couldn't give up that money. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just too uh, like it would cost me to give up one of those shifts. And yeah. it, it would also cost me yeah. because if you gave up one of those shifts, everybody, you might not ever get it back because yeah. there's other people that wanted those shifts. So you start messing around with your schedule and then it might may take you another two or three weeks to get that shift back because you want it off that weekend. And now they put somebody else in your spot and they also want to work the weekend. So I rarely ever gave up those weekend shifts. So I'd been working weekends, you know, and so I, that was the beginning of my financial recovery. But I was such a mess right before I got married 
that in my life I was still kind of in that dark place, right? Yeah. That I was still, and I was still drinking a lot. I, I was still screwing things up. And I ruined my marriage, my first marriage, before I ever went into it. Like before yeah. I ever got into it, yeah. I messed it up because I went out drinking and I cheated on my ex-wife before we were even engaged, before we even got married. Yeah. But I mean, before I even moved up here, that was in yeah. Austin. Went out one night. Still had some of my dark patterns, you know, the, the kind, of, kind of the service industry in a sense. A lot of people I worked with the service industry had some huge vices. Some people I worked with did heroin. Yeah. You know, I, thank God I never did any of that stuff. But, but, uh, you know, got messed up one night and my life was just starting to look like it was going to turn around. I sabotaged again, another mm -hmm. relationship. You know, I hear I sabotaged that one. I didn't sabotage all my relationships, but that, but that one I did. And that one looked like it was going to be really special. And it was yeah. right before things about to turn around. And so that was another level of pain, another level of difficulty that I added to my life. Even though things from then on got better for me financially, I went through another very difficult period relationship-wise that, that ended in divorce. But it was during that time that, I was like, I can't, I, I can't control anybody else. I can only control myself. And I had read things in the Bible, like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when I read things like that, I'm like, that's either true or it's not right. That's either kind of like when people say that Jesus walked the earth, you got four people in the gospel that all tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, yeah. Mark, Luke, and John, you know, that, that claim they saw him, that he did all these things. And so when I read stuff like that, I'm like, that's either true or it's not. Like yeah. I'm, I wasn't here when Jesus was here. Like I didn't see him feed 5,000 people with two do the loaves and the fish. You know, I didn't see any of that stuff. Um, I can't prove that he was here, but I've certainly been wrong about things in my life. And so if I die and there's Martians, right, it would be the first time I was wrong. So for me, it's just been my journey was that's just where I started putting my faith. And that seems to be, <laughs> for me at least, the mm -hmm. thing that has completely transformed my life, given it meaning. So given it what what did it essentially do? Like did it start to give you more structure? Did it change your mindset? Yeah, it, just it, take did, your, it did give me more structure. And, and it did and change so, my mindset. Yeah. And, and the and way so how, I'll tell you exactly how it gave me structure. Go ahead. If that if that's not I mean to cut you off, if that's what you were no, asking. That that's that's exactly where I want. I'm now now I want to shift towards your your personal development route and down to your personal relationship path now into where you're essentially here. So I struggled so much in my marriage and things were not improving because my you know, I had I had a big sort of um come to Jesus, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Where I told my ex-wife before we got married everything, so very painful for her because she had gone through a she had been cheated on in the relationship right before me, and, yeah. and actually physically abused by that guy. Yeah. Um, so she had been very damaged, and had, and was so hopeful about me because here I am, you know, like. It, expressing my love, all these things, night and shining, you know, all, my, all my intentions, you know, yeah. and then I, I sabotage it. Well, I also knew how much I was struggling in all these different areas of my life. And so I knew it would be a crime for her to marry me 
the way that I was without her kind of knowing how I was. Right. So I guess part of my brain knew that even though I had like these vices and these things. And so I did, I was transparent. So that transparency with her was a huge, helped me grow, but it would devastate our relationship. It was extremely hurtful to her. She married me anyway, and, and probably shouldn't have, you know, she said yes. And so that was painful for me too, because like, why did you marry me? You know, if, if, um, to, to then later divorce me, but, um, you know, I will say this about our marriage. We both tried, we both tried really hard. She tried harder at the beginning. I tried harder at the end. Um, and so we, we have that, but the how, since, since she has so much, so much anger at me, um, in a marriage that was really, really difficult. We essentially kind of became roommates. You know, I, I didn't feel like divorce was going to solve any problems. And in my yeah. mind, I had, I had gotten married and committed myself. And so I was like, okay, I can't change her, but maybe I can change me. Right. Mm-hmm. And how does anybody change anything? Change is hard and it takes time. So it's like, okay, how do I change me? If I'm not a good husband, if I, and I, I didn't continue to cheat. And so it's not like yeah. loving this marriage. Right. But, but, you know, I was looking at pornography and we were sleeping yeah. in separate rooms and yeah. she was insecure about her appearance. And, and then you know, here I am looking at porn and then she's insecure about it. And so it's just all of this, not, like that again, wasn't improving. Yeah. It was taking more steps back than it was forward, even though we had some steps forward. We, and there were some good things that came out of our marriage. We both got out of debt. We went through Dave Ramsey. That was the period of financial recovery for me. Got completely out of debt. Um, and she, we, we had dual income, no kids, and we, we would alternate our debts and we, we paid off all hers, paid off her car, her student loan, her credit cards, paid off IRS for me, state of California, my student loan, my car. I didn't have any credit cards. I didn't have any credit. Um, and so, so that, that was a good thing that came out of marriage. It, oh, in our marriage, I quit drinking. Um, and I, I haven't gone back and I was never, never got a DUI. What, what made uh, you quit drinking? during your marriage how hard our marriage was because some of our biggest fights we would drink every night and some of our biggest fights would happen just just simple misunderstandings after drinking you know just you might say something to me while we're sitting on the couch drinking watching a movie and i might not hear her the way that she wanted to be heard or respond the way that she wanted me to respond and with all the anger that she already had even though I wasn't necessarily coming from a bad place in that moment, would just trigger her issues. Yeah. And then she'd start yelling at me and I'd start yelling at her and just volatile. And yeah. some of it's just misunderstanding. Some of right. it's being insensitive. Some of it's right. being too wrapped up in yourself because you're completely wrapped up in alcohol after yeah. having however many glasses of wine. And then, and then we'd open, then we'd open the whiskey. I mean, we celebrated yeah. alcohol. Yeah. You know, we love going to the store and getting whiskey. And honestly, it felt good because our marriage was really shitty. And so it yeah. was nice. We both liked to drink and it was great. But it was a good outlet, know, essentially. Yeah, it really was. But I mean, I'd use that outlet for years to escape yeah. what I was feeling and my emotions yeah. or anything difficult. And yeah. I never wanted to feel bad. That was my biggest escape is when I became an adult. I, ne- I never wanted to feel bad. I only ever wanted to feel good. And I didn't realize back then the importance of feeling bad. Like yeah. your emotions are important. Yeah. And they are trying to tell you something. And I was always trying to escape my negative emotions. Always. 
right. and alcohol. Just like a majority of us, right? Oh, Very man. Related. Alcohol is an incredible tool. It's an yeah. incredible tool for yeah. helping you feel differently. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's a good tool. Yeah. You know, but it, it is a tool for getting for getting you into a different state and one that for me felt fantastic. Yeah. It helps you forget and, about problems that oh you're gosh, currently facing. Yeah. Emotions yeah. that you're currently facing. Yeah. So, so I want to answer. You've asked me two questions. I've been rambling. I, I want to address both of them. One, it was the how did sort of my come to Jesus give me structure? And I'll tell you exactly how. And then the other one is um, why did I quit drinking? And again, be transformed by the renewing of yeah. your mind. That's either true or it's not. I had I never thought to myself like, oh, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I need to quit drinking or anything like that. I still don't think I was an alcoholic per se, like per, you know how it is for some people. There's levels, right? But I never had a DUI. I never got fired for alcohol, anything like that. But um, I had read in the New Testament, there's a verse that says, be sober, be vigilant, because the, your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I can't remember the the um, reference, but it's a, it's in the New Testament, and that and it doesn't. And the Bible's all about like order in a mm-hmm. way, and so it. And what I thought was so peculiar is it de- it doesn't say be vigilant, be sober. That's not the order that it says things. It says be sober, be vigilant. And so that really hit me. Like man, you know, if the devil is defined in the Bible, your your enemy, your adversary, the devil. It says what he's trying to do. It's trying to three things: kill or steal, kill and destroy. So he wants to take from you. He wants to destroy anything that you've built, anything that matters to you, whether it's a relationship, mm-hmm. a house, a wardrobe, a body, whatever it is that you place your value in that you've built, you've worked on. Wants to destroy it and wants to kill you. <laughs> That's what the devil wants to do. Yeah, and your know, Holy Spirit is the opposite. You know, if you're like, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's defined as like nine characteristics. That's love, joy, peace, patience, self-discipline. <laughs> I, that's the thing I liked big time, self-discipline. Um, uh, what's the other one? So love, joy, peace, patience, um, self-discipline. That's five. There's like four more, but anyway, and I thought, man, being sober is half the battle. If you're trying to resist the devil who's walking around like a roaring lion seeking, who can I devour? And the way to fight against that, the first line of defense is sobriety and and being vigilant. Because me, in my mind, it would be vigilance. It'd be like, oh, I'm strong. I'm a, I'm a warrior. I have a sword. I have a helmet. I have a shield. Yeah. I'm vigilant. But yeah. that, that, that's a lot of effort. But the first yeah. line of defense is sobriety. Be sober, be vigilant. And the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol, but it does condemn being drunk. It does yeah. say, don't be drunk. And that's a slippery slope. You know, the difference between one beer and the being buzzed and the being, because, you know, your self-discipline, I've read books on self-discipline and willpower and brain power, and it's the lowest in the evening. Your your ability to be structured and disciplined is highest in the morning when you first wake up after you're well-rested. And it, it shrinks throughout the day. The more tasks your brain has to perform, the less discipline you have by nighttime. Well, that's typically yep. when most people drink. So yep. you're, you're already 
you know, in a lower place in terms of your ability to regulate how many drinks you're going to have or how much chocolate cake you eat in yep. the evening. And that's when you're drinking. And so for your ability, but then <laughs> your self-discipline is also impaired by alcohol. So your ability to say yes or no to one drink is a lot easier than your ability to say yes or no to two drinks. So yeah. between zero and one, you're stronger than you are between one and two. And yeah. if you have two and somebody suggests a third, then and you're a social person and you're feeling good and, and you've never alcohol's never cost you much in terms of your job, your finances, yeah. and you balance your checkbook and you vote, and you do all these things right. You know, and you and maybe you have good relationships on top of that. So then how hard is it to say to three or four, you know, and I never put the brakes on anything. I yeah. I've allowed myself to do whatever I've wanted to do whenever I've wanted to do it, essentially. Yeah. And so I so for me and also I wasn't recovering as fast in my 40s. Sometimes we drink and I'd wake up and I'd have a headache after yeah. having whiskey the night before. Yeah. And so for me, it wasn't a big conviction like I need to quit drinking. It was just an experiment. It was like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go 30 days of not drink. And just see how it goes. And so that's what I did. I went 30 days and it actually was easier for me because I wasn't going out to bars anymore in my marriage. And so I was like, okay, this, this wasn't too bad. I think I'm going to go another 30. And so I ended up going over 70 days. And then me and my ex-wife went on vacation and I drank on vacation and I didn't feel bad about it. I had not committed mm -hmm. to not drinking. Like I said, yeah. I wasn't, uh, I did it wasn't a conviction. It was just, I'm going to try this out. And so I drank on vacation, felt fine about it, had a headache on vacation because we we're at an all-inclusive resort. And yeah. that's all we kind of did was just drink in the resort all day long. So I always had like this lingering wine headache. And then we drank for the rest of the year. We drank that December and had whiskey and built a fire and watched movies. And it felt fantastic. And But at the same time, I remember that 70 days feeling really good. And I was like, you know what? In my whole adult life, I'm in my 40s at this point. So in my whole adult life, I've never gone, I think, more than a month not drinking alcohol since I was 19 years old. I think the first really kind of started drinking when I was 19. Yeah. And so I was like, what would my life be like if I were to go one year? And to quit for life just sounded like, I mean, I, it still just sounded absurd to me. You know, it's like, oh, I, yeah. I'm not going to give it up for life. Yeah. Because my whole life, my whole adult life, I've been drinking. But, but you know, I, I was pretty confident I could go a year. And I thought, because also, too, my marriage sucked. And I was like, I think this could improve my marriage. And I'll feel better. And I'll probably be in a little bit better shape. And I'll probably spend a little bit less money. And I won't have headaches on Sunday mornings after drinking whiskey on Saturday night. And so that's what I did. And I went the whole year. And that was the year that we got a divorce. Um, so I can't really say it improved my, my marriage. Um, I'm but, sure it improved on you and how you were showing up at least. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, by, it, by then it was too late and I, and I tried some more things and, and yeah, you know, I was reading a lot of books and she was like, you're not reading any relationship books. You read all these books, but you're not reading books about relationships. And I thought, you know right. what? She's right. Like she's, yeah. she's got a really good point. And yeah. so I did. I started reading some books on relationships, like the the you know five love languages and um, the love dare and marriage that lasts. These different books, and um, you know, but I, but she had already tried when I wasn't trying, so she was exasperated and exhausted, you mm -hmm. know. And now I'm you know now I'm like showing up more than I was, and um, so anyway, 
that is how I quit drinking alcohol. And after going a year and then going through the divorce, I just started the job at Shell Energy. I had a very transformative year. I said some, like I was saying these affirmations. I read all these books. I was trying these things that successful people said try to do. And some of it was just saying things out loud, mm-hmm. you know, like that you're yeah. wanting to accomplish. And I thought, well, even if I don't accomplish them, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm going to say them and they may not happen, but highly successful people are saying to do this. And it seems yeah. stupid and too simple, but I did. And, and the stuff started to happen. I mean, crazy things. Like I got a job that paid 80% more is a base salary than the, the, the job I had before that. I mean, and it was work from home and it was just incredible. So some incredible things were starting to happen. And God had already been answering my prayers in, in mm-hmm. other areas. Um, and I did pray for my marriage. Um, and my, my family did too, but it didn't work out. But, um, so that's the, the no drinking story kind of in a nutshell, the, how did I get more structure <laughs> in terms of how to, how did Christianity bring me more structure? And I thought, okay, I'd heard that verse be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but it's like, how do you renew your mind? Re- renew your mind means you probably have to do it more than once. It's kind of like eating. You don't eat one meal and you're full for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you, you renew it like, like daily, kind of like going to bed. I thought, well, okay, daily. And I was so like, what, the way I, I see it is it's like you're exercising your brain. Your mind is a, is a muscle. Right? Yeah, it is. So, so you're training. Yeah. So you have to essentially train your mind. No, you, yeah, you are yeah. absolutely yeah. right. And, and you do, and, and you can change. Everybody can change yeah. like neuroplasticity. Yeah. You can, you can change your brain. And if you and like for people who think they're dumb and don't apply themselves because they don't give themselves like the average brain, you don't have to have the Elon Musk brain, the yeah. average brain, even if you're dumber than the average person is enough yeah. to still change if you stick to something and apply yourself because it takes time, it takes rest, it takes nutrition and it takes re, you know, a repeat like it, it mm-hmm. takes consistency. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people are going to learn it a little bit faster and they're spent they're putting in the same amount of effort and it's a little bit easier for them. And it's, yeah. that may be true, but you'll still get a result. You'll still, and, and if you can really stick to something, you may get much more of a result than you initially thought you were going to get. And I've started to experience that in my life because I've started sticking to things longer because I changed the hat. I was able to get the structure in place and develop mm-hmm. good habits but it all, but knowledge, I'm not going to say knowledge is power because, you know, you know, they like to lose weight and you eat less. That's knowledge. You know that, you know, to have more money, you need to not spend so much or to save a little. That's knowledge, right? And we all know yeah. those things. But I will say that knowledge is leverage. So, so the more, or maybe, or maybe this understanding, knowledge is not understanding and understanding is real leverage. So the more understanding you can have about something, the more powerful, the more, the easier it is to sort of do that thing. And right. I'm trying to think of a, a good concrete example. Um, well, it's easier to apply the second you understand it, right? Like if you yeah. don't understand it, you're not going to apply it. To conceptualize, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. easier for you to handle. It's yeah. like, it's like if you give, it's like somebody who knows how to swing a golf club versus doing it for the very first time. It's, you know, somebody who, like a pro golfer has just a tremendous amount of understanding, right? You know, in, in terms of how you know, their the brain is different, right? Um, and I, so I had, I thought, okay, 
I need to know about the brain. Like, how does the brain work? Right. Yeah. Because maybe if I understand a little bit about how my brain works, then I can learn how to use it better. So I started reading books about habit. I started reading books about neuroplasticity. And, and it was just honestly, those books were liberating because so many of the areas where I felt stuck, like I couldn't do things. Right? I was trying to define my life through the events that had happened. Like I'm a failure or I had all these all these self-doubts or I started realizing like and I knew successful people had failed. You know, but when I would listen to their books, that's all I could relate to was their failures. I was not yet relating to any of their successes in anything financially yeah. or relationships yeah. other than I can hold a job and not get fired. Um, and so because I don't think I've ever really been fired. But anyway, um, I thought, OK, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to read the whole Bible. And I knew they had yearly Bibles. And I was like, OK, and I'm not sure I'm going to feel when I get to the end of it. But if my faith is going to be stronger or if I'm going to look down on it, if my faith is going to be weaker, but I'm going mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had to wake up every day for a job. And I was like, if I could just you know, these yearly Bibles, if, if you were to break up the whole Bible and, and into a year and you read the, the one section each day, I think it's about 20 minutes, maybe some maybe sometimes it's 30, maybe, some, maybe sometimes 20, but maybe 20, 25 minutes on average, depending on how fast you read. So I was like, OK, I can get through it a year, but I'm going to track it. Because I, I didn't have any sort of structure other than having to be at a job. I wasn't even really working out at that time. I was still drinking at that time. And so I wasn't really at the gym. And so I got a daily planner. And I'm not a planner guy, or at least I wasn't then. And so I got a daily planner. And that's all I used it for. I was like, I'm just going to mark whether or not I read the Bible that morning. And my goal was to, to read it in a year, you know, in 365 sections. And so it took me over a year because I was more inconsistent when I started. But and then sometimes I look at my planner and be like, oh, my gosh, it's been four days and I haven't done this. <laughs> but again, that effort at trying something different, just that little bit of effort at getting through something like that goal um, and tracking it, like just looking, did I do this? Did I not? Sometimes I'd be surprised because it's kind of a discovery. It's like, oh, I did not do this. Like, I thought I had just done this two days ago, but it's been mm -hmm. four or five days. Mm -hmm. So it took me over a year because I wasn't doing it every day. And it kind of took a long time to catch up. And I, I, I think I did it like in a year and a quarter, um, year and three months. But I got through the whole thing. But what was so interesting was by the time I got through with it, I was in the habit of waking up a little bit earlier and reading something yeah. and tracking something. And then sometimes I would go and walk like around the park or whatever. And I had discovered audiobooks on my way to work. And so whether I was walking or driving, I started listening to these audiobooks. And I was in the habit of, of you know, waking up a little bit earlier and, and listening. And so I was able to start, even though I was busy, I, I was doing more than I had done when I had all that time off in California when I first got there. And I wanted to read books at that point, but I wasn't reading, even though I had the time. I had less time because I had a full-time job, but I was actually getting through books. And so that also, so the Bible was the first sort of structure, consistent structure where I was like, I'm going to do this and see if I'm any different or see if my faith is stronger or see if it's weaker. Mm -hmm. And um, my fa I had stronger faith by the end of it. And I found a lot of, like it grounded me a lot in um and I started and I started talking to God about everything rather than just yeah. prayers of desperation, only yeah. praying when there's a problem. I started 
sort of like what it, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Like not just say, oh, I'm a Christian or I accepted Christ when I was little or I did this or, you know, oh, I pray to God because there's a world war. It's like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does Jesus require of you? Like, what does that mean? And um, that that's been a very transformative journey. All right. Um, and so that that's how I, I first got structure, really. Yeah. Other other than yeah, you know, the structure of a job. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah. like so, yeah. so a lot of people have that structure, the structure of a job. It's we, in we terms all of have all the it, other right? things I've. Yeah, like yeah. all the other things I've done. And it did like like since like in addition to my job that I don't even have to do, that I'm able to do, that I'm disciplined about, like where did that come from? Because you can clearly see that is not who I was. Yeah. So where and that's where it's from? important for all of us and to put put it out there is the second you start doing that, it really transforms your life and changes your trajectory and just you start living a little bit more of a fulfilling life and you don't turn to those vices so quickly because you're fulfilled you don't you're able to resolve those stresses that are coming to you that back then you were turning to a vice to resolve it for you right like if you had a really shitty day i'm like yeah i mean you know what i'm gonna go have a cocktail and you know what i'm gonna have probably two or three more and the next day you're gonna definitely pay for it but it felt good for that 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 brief moment that you were there and you're facing that stress. And, but the second that you start having structure in your life, it starts, it's transformative to where, you know what? Yeah, I feel shitty, but it's, it's, all, it's all right. I'll feel better tomorrow. And go yeah, from there. I, I think if you ask me where thing, where it all started in terms of like major improvement, because I had years of nothing improving, and yeah. things getting worse and worse. You had years of it. Yeah. And now I've had years of things improving a lot. I mean, yeah. like, a, like a whole lot. Yeah. And Oh, yeah. You made me, a big leap from yeah, being single but, but to married. <laughs> for, yeah. For me, it started with prayer. Yeah. That's where it started. And it was a prayer. And it was not a prayer of faith. It yeah. was a prayer of desperation. Yeah. Like it, it truly was. It wasn't like, oh, God's there yeah. and He's got my back. It was, yeah. yeah. I, I don't have a clue. You know, I haven't figured this life out. And God, will you help me? And He, I, oh my gosh, like I, I truly believe, like God heard me. Yeah. Like He heard me. Yeah. My wife Denise. I was praying about my dating life yeah. because I had been frustrated dating, and I, um. You know, I had been hopeful about a girl I dated last year and it didn't work out. And so there's sort of two roads I can take. I can sort of take the the male gigolo, the bachelor, forever bachelor. Yeah. And just, you know, look as good as I can, make as much money as I can and attract the best looking girls I can find and just never settle down. Yeah. And, and a lot of guys do that. Right. And, and that. I had done plenty of that and that was very unfulfilling to me. You know, once you have enough like notches on your belt or try to validate yourself or whatever, and then it's just never, it never grows into anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, they, they all come to an end. Yeah. And so then you want it, you're like, okay, well I want it to be meaningful. I want it to turn into something. And so then you go down that road and you can't control the other person and you don't know how they're going to feel. And so 
if it doesn't work out, then you're having these sort of mini heartbreaks. Well, I had been through enough hard relationships that, that didn't work out and enough pain in my relationships that I thought, I can't do this either, right? Because I'm, I'm just not built. I just don't feel built to go in and out of relationships and just have tragedy, tragedy, hopes up, another little mini death here. Okay, now this one lasts. And that's been my pattern, right? That's been kind of yeah. fast. Yeah. And so either they've either they weren't the right one because they were messing them up, or I wasn't the right one and I'm messing them up. Well, I had read a verse, and that's why I said Bible's one of my favorite success books. I'd read a, a verse in Proverbs that says, An understanding wife is from the Lord. I think it sounds like like wealth and an inheritance are from fathers. You know, basically mm-hmm. like like things that get passed out are from fathers. But it says, But an understanding wife is from the Lord. It doesn't say a wife. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> people can go get themselves a wife. Yeah. There's plenty of people that want to get married, but an understanding wife. And that's where people struggle in relationships, yeah. not understanding each other. Yeah. And so I thought, wow, if an understanding wife is from the Lord, and it also says in the Bible, you have not because you ask not. So the whole thing about the Bible is, is we are supposed to have a relationship with God. Yeah. Like like a two-way street, not just like a dad help me. Yeah. Dad, I feel close to you. Like like a relationship with our heavenly father. And so um and then and then it also says some people who ask won't receive because of their motives, because of what their hearts aren't right, right? And so so that it's not a guarantee that you're gonna get what you ask for, but there needs to be that dialogue, right? There needs to be that dialogue mm-hmm. with God and not just when things are going bad. It needs to be there when things are going good, in my opinion. And so when I read that, you know, I had these frustrations in my dating life because I had another relationship. I got really hopeful. It didn't work out. And then I got a little bit jaded and I was on the dating apps. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to set the filter low and start dating the youngest girl I can find, you know, while Mm -hmm. I'm still young enough that they're attracted to me and and all this. As I did a little bit of that. And then I also kind of felt that separation from God. And from a Christian perspective, that's really not the way to live, right? And mm-hmm. so then that could make me feel separated from God. And a lot of Christians are that way. They'll only pray when they think they're doing good, like they're mm-hmm. living the way God wants them. And as soon as they feel like they're doing something bad, they stop talking to God. Well, that's really when you should be talking to God, is mm-hmm. if you if you feel a separation, don't cut them off. Like, talk yeah. a, like about your problems. Like, talk, yeah. talk about all of it. Yeah. You know, if your dating struggles— Pray about it. If you feel like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, pray about that too. Like, and so, and so I did. Like I was praying about my dating life, and it's so ironic because that was the thing that I was really contemplating coming into 2023. Was am I going to keep doing what I'm doing? Am I am I going to, you know, continue to be jaded and date casually girls that are really too young? Right. If they say yes or we connect on Tinder or whatever, am I, am I going to keep doing that? Because if, if what I want is a healthy relationship and intimacy and I'm doing this, I'm kind of wasting my time, really. Because yeah. I'm spending time doing it. Yeah. When I could be meeting somebody else if I have higher standards, you know, I have to find what I want. And I was conflicted about it because dating's fun while it lasts. And I dated some cute girls that, you know, they, I had companionship while they were hanging out with me, watching a movie, whatever. But, you know, then it's over. Or, you know, is it going to grow into anything? Is that really a potential marriage candidate? You know, all these things. 
And so I thought, I'm, I'm going to go on vacation. I want to get clarity about this. And I'm probably going to just write some things down. I'm going to pray about this. And so that's that was my intention on my vacation. I was like, I'll, I'll go scuba diving, you know, and maybe I'll go on a couple of dates. Maybe I'll meet a girl or whatever. But, you know, probably nothing's going to come of it. But what I really need to do is, is think about how I'm going to approach this in 2023. And, and I've been praying about it. And that's what's so crazy is yeah. – I go on vacation and I feel like God was so kind to me. Like, I feel like God, I feel like God is very, very kind and very, very patient. And some people don't see God that way. Some people get themselves in a mess and then they blame God and they don't look at their actions. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like the world will put a heavy yoke on you. But, you know, if you look at, okay, so if I'm following Jesus, you know, so, so my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it certainly feels that way for me not drinking. If you can make it to that point. I mean, like alcohol yeah. for some people is a dependency. Like smoking yeah. cigarettes for me was a huge dependency. Right. But I'm, pa I'm past it now. And uh, I don't have that. I don't I don't miss it. And so um, anyway, yeah, I met, I met Denise. And like she's incredibly understanding. Yeah. And, she, and and what was so crazy is she lives, she, she grew up in Mexico. She's Latina and she lived in Cosmo and, um, she, you would, th you think, well, how's that going to happen? Like I'm back in Texas and she's there and yeah. I don't do it long distance. Well, she already had plans to move to Texas to work for her dad. He owns a business in San Antonio and she was going to, uh, go to work for him. And that was already, and she's a school teacher and she had her own business helping autistic children on the side. And she worked mm -hmm. in private school, but it was just very demanding, very political at that school where she worked and, and a lot of chingadera, as they say in Mexico, at that school. And so she was planning to come uh, work for her, for her dad after the school semester ended. Okay. And um, so she was already planning to move to Texas. I was like, okay. you got to be freaking kidding yeah. me. And we had this incredible romantic week. Like, you got to be kidding me. And so I liked her so much and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And this, this, uh, vacation was the last week of December, 2022 that when I got back, uh, in January to Dallas, I was like, I'm going to get off the dating apps. Like it was just consuming it. And I was like, I don't know where things are going to go with Denise. I don't know if she's even going to be able to move here or get her permission to come here, but I know I like her a lot and I just had so much peace about it. Yeah. And I was like, I just, you know, cause I spent so much time on the apps and all these conversations and all these swipes. And I was like, I, this just feels good to me. Like this yeah. just, even if it doesn't turn into anything, at least for now, I can always go back to dating. That's going to be there. But I just, and so that's what I did. And we, we talked every day. We would Skype on the iPad and then I tried to go visit her and then it didn't work out because of my schedule. And we were frustrated. And then she tried to come here and she hadn't gotten permission yet. And so it, even that, looks look like oh this is not going to work out like this is but we prayed about it and i was like let's yeah. pray about this if god is in this it'll it'll happen it, it'll yeah. come together if, if god's behind it and um everything has come together i mean like she got her permission i went down there i was there for her birthday i met her mom her mom has always been kind of critical of guys in her life but her mom was like accepting of me we had this incredible uh, birthday for her. She was able to fly back with me and change her ticket to the seat next to mine. So I literally went to visit her at the end of March, April. She flew back with me. We sat next to each other on the plane. She got to Texas. We spent some time together. She went to live with her dad in San Antonio. 
I've lived with girls unmarried and I'm, and I don't think it's the best path because it's still like a divorce if you break up. And I thought, no, I'm, you know, if, we, if we're, if we're going to live together, it's because I'm in, I'm all in and I'm, I'm committed. I'm not going to do the, the moving in and moving out. I've done, I've done yeah. so much of that in my life. And, um, so she lived with her dad and we did a little bit of long, you know, short, long distance from yeah. San Antonio to Dallas for a couple of months. And, um, I was like, you know, I, I love her and I'm not, I'm not going to make her wait. And I'm old Yeah, I'm older yeah. now. I'm 46 yeah. and I still kind of would like to have kids one day and, you know, to, and she's, she's younger she's 32. And so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose. <laughs> yeah. just like, I'm, I'm in it, man. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, I've dated enough. I know, I know a good thing and she's, she's rare. You know, you do not meet girls like her. And I'm like, this so is that's where, know. that's where I'm going to pause you there. Yeah. Just because you said that. And that's, this is where I, it gets really interesting for us guys. And the reason why is because there's been a big shift of movement amongst men to where they're finding their significant other in different countries. So there's <laughs> yeah. this there's this word, I don't know if you're aware of it, there's this word that's now being coined for men that do that, and it's called passport bros. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you've heard of that, right? Yeah. yeah and so posted something about it on Facebook. Yeah, and so, and the reason why is because the American culture, the the women in this culture are very I don't know the the, <laughs> the politically correct word, but I, they're I should... they're they're just not they're too strong high strong, they're too independent, they're too independent in quotation marks. And they're they're not able to essentially be understanding and be a person or a companion that can work together. And it's, I'm sure there's plenty out there, right? But it's, it's a lot more difficult to find in this culture versus different countries. Would you well, say that's correct? Yes. And I would say, so the best relationships, in my opinion, you complement each other, like yeah. you help each other grow. Yeah. And so I'm very high strung. I've been through a lot of crap. I've created a lot of messes. I've failed a lot and I have a lot of things I still want to do. And, and I'm just, I'm also hyper vigilant by nature because I struggled so much that little things scare me. Like I'm super organized now. So now yeah. like if I don't do a certain thing, I, you know, for me, it used to trigger like little mini panic attacks. Like, Oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to lose all my money again. Like I'm going to, you know, yeah. because I didn't make my bed or, or something yeah. stupid, you know? Yeah. Um, and so Denise is very laid back. She's Latina, different culture. I love that culture, you know, just very laid back and she balances me out. So I, I would say, yes, I agree with you. I'm high strong. I think there's a lot of white women that are high. I think there's a lot of people in this country that are high strong. So maybe that might be a solution. Maybe yeah. some of the white girls that are high strong need to go find like a Latino dude. You know, yeah. or or maybe Italian, or who knows? You know, yeah. I probably sound super yeah. racist right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. But, and then, but for me, like she helps me be present. She helps me be in the moment, and she's very warm. You know, I can be cold hearted, and I can be impatient, 
and she's very warm-hearted. She's very patient. And I love those things about her. And, and, yeah, I, want to be, and I want to be more like that. Yeah, and that's that's where relationships thrive. It's that complementary effect because men are typically that, right? They're, they're high-strung. They're just – they're let's balls to the wall. Let's go at this. Very impatient. Very like, ah, uh, you know, it's our well, human gonna, instinct. It's our men. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say uh, some people are, and yeah. and like I, that's what I was saying. I think there's some dudes that are laid back. Oh not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. one of them. Yeah, but but maybe that's the, kind of the same thing. Like the passport bro, maybe the yeah. passport girl. Like maybe maybe some of the the maybe uh, there should be <laughs> girls. Yeah, maybe, maybe some of the high strung girls need to. Maybe that's yeah. their right. Yeah. Is, is to go find somebody, whether it's in another culture or wherever find the laid back person. I, yeah. I certainly think that there's a, a good case to say that a lot of people are high strong in this country right now. Yeah. And yeah. it's something I, I, I do speak a lot of and about is that this country is way too fast paced and we have not yet learned to slow down a little bit. And the yeah. reasons and this, this type of pattern is leading to a lot of the diseases and a lot of the sicknesses that we're facing. It's because we're just not able to just slow down, you know, take a little breather. It's okay. It's okay to yeah. take a little breather. And and it's because stress is is related to a lot of these sicknesses. And Yeah, absolutely. And being stressed out is because we're just overworking ourselves. No, I got to I got to get this thing done. I used to be in that. I used to do that a lot. And I still do that. I I, I catch myself on doing that till this day. But that's the big difference between back then and now is i catch myself and i right. actually tell myself okay slow the fuck down like it's gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> good for you man yeah, you, you've got to yeah yeah that, but that that's the big thing that and it's cool that you you found that and and my one last question when it comes to finding denise and how she made me how she made you feel what made you make that decision like as in yeah i'm going to propose like did you have a vision going in to this of how you wanted your ideal wife to be incorporating the fact what you had learned in the bible and then like did you have this visual yeah i mean i, I didn't like make a list or anything like that but i had just dated a lot and there were there were some things that were appealing to me that like for instance she's 32 and does not have children and i know at my age if i date someone who's close to my age that it's likely they have if they even they either already have kids because they've been through their own situation um and so they either don't want kids or even if they have kids and do want kids or don't have kids and want kids, but they're in their 40s, that the window for us to get married and have children is pretty small, um, potentially, because what if what if we date? I mean, I wasn't planning to get married this fast. It's like, you know, what if you date somebody for a year, a year and mm -hmm. a half to see how it mm -hmm. goes, which is kind of how I thought it would go. And then it doesn't work out. Well, now yeah. I'm almost 48. 
<laughs> I'm getting older and I'm trying, yeah. you know, and I'm trying to find a woman who might still want to have children. It'd be totally yeah. different if I didn't want kids. So, so that was something that really appealed to me about her was just her age. Like she's, she's still young enough to where if we have kids, they're not at risk of certain things, you know, cause like, I guess as your eggs get older, yeah. you know, then you, you could have, you're, you're at risk of your kids having uh, certain things. And, and so, yeah. and she, and also just from an energy perspective, I don't have the same level of energy as I did when I was younger. I, I, I have to manage it better. Like I don't yeah. drink and I, and I get eight hours of sleep. That's one of the ways I manage my energy. Back then I could sleep six hours and drink a lot. Yeah. You know, have a couple of Red Bulls and still have a full work day. You know, now I, I just feel awful if I were, did that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, just the energy that we might may take to raise a kid. And then also too, that what, one of the things that was, I wasn't specifically looking for, but I noticed it immediately. I was like, this is a tremendous asset is she's incredible with children. Yeah. Like incredible. And she was teaching, you know, in a private school and had like all these kids that are like three years old in her classroom. And every single one of them had smiles on their faces and all of the photos she would send me videos and they just love her to pieces, like just giving her hugs, these little kids. I mean, they, one little kid, I think he was autistic and, and he would hug her every chance that he got while she would, they were do, doing this little dance. And then every time he would hug her, all the other kids thought that meant it was time to hug. So then they would all get her. And so it would just happen over and over again. They just kept going in and giving her hugs. And, um, or she'd be leading them in a line and every single one of them had these huge smiles on their faces. And I thought, man, that isn't how it is with every woman yeah. <laughs> you know, with kids. Yeah. Around. And, yeah. you know, I, I've screwed enough things up. If, if I ever want to have kids, I'm, I'm going to need a, a partner who, you know, he's going to be a good mom. And of course I'm going to do my best to be a good dad, but yeah. I, I lack a lot of intuition when it comes to certain things. You know, I'm very analytical and very sort of outside looking in observant, mm. you know, more, more operate from my head, not so much from my heart. And she's heart, she's warm. And, and I saw those qualities in her. And then also too, she's just, um, just affectionate. You know, some of the things that, that I have missed out on, they, even our culture misses out on, just in terms of how people express their affection to one another, that down there, it's not, they, they're just open with. Oh, they're yeah. They're just big yeah. into family and yeah. affection. And you know, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter how much money you end up making or the things that you accomplish. If you don't, if you don't have healthy relationships and a lot of love and warmth in your life, I, I think you're, you're missing out. And you could yeah. really struggle. And so these were all huge things to me that I saw in her that were, I would, they weren't even, I wasn't even looking for them specifically. They just stood out so far above the rest, like above other women I dated. They, were, they weren't like awful people and they were nice people, but you know, yeah. from what I could tell, but with her, they were just enormous. And, um, you know, so like, I like right off the bat, like for me, dating was an advantage in that sense because I was able to recognize a good thing, you know, like immediately, like a good yeah. situation, a good, a good woman. I don't want to say like thing, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It totally does. It totally does. Yeah. Um, I thought I had another question. Oh yeah. That was okay. I know I said that was the last question. There was one more, one last yeah, one no before, before we, we 
cut the episode and let you enjoy the rest of your night. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you, it's kind of like a two-parter. It's a 1A, 1AP. If you could tell yourself, your younger self, one thing to help them out to get to where you're at at this point, what would you tell them? And the 1B is, if you can tell anyone around the age where you're struggling, let's say in your mid-20s, because that's where essentially everyone is, struggles, is to get their feet set, what would you tell them? I would say, accept Jesus into your heart and keep and pray. Keep that dialogue with God open. Like, talk to God. Talk to Jesus. I don't mean Buddha, Allah, any, anybody else. And this is just my advice, you know. I'm telling you what worked for me, for my own personal right. experience. Right. I'm not, I'm not right. trying to say that I know better than you. I'm just saying this is my, you're asking me my advice to my yep. younger self or yep. to somebody that that would be my advice. It would be ask Jesus into your heart and yeah. pray to Jesus yeah. and, That's ask, a good one. and ask, keep, keep that. Don't just talk to God when things are bad. Talk to God about everything. Talk yeah. to God about your health. Talk to God about your finances. Talk to God about your habits. Talk to God about your relationships. Talk to God about. And um, it's funny. There's a there's a scene in Saving Private Ryan. Did you ever see that movie? Yes, but it's been a while, so I might not remember the scene. But go ahead. So they're all walking with Tom Hanks, and he's the captain or what, whatever his rank is. But he's the mm -hmm. superior officer who outranks his guys. You know, they're all his guys, and they're and they're all bitching about stuff and. They're like, we never see you complain. You know, he's always like the cool level head or whatever. Yeah. And then like, we, we never see you, you know, so what, what do you, and I can't remember what they asked, but it's basically like, how come you don't complain or who, or who do you complain to? And, and he says um, that I always, he goes, I complain up like to his commanding officer. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to complain to you guys or, or cry, you know, cry to you guys about my problems because they can't really can't do anything about them. I yeah. mean, he's, he, yeah. he outranks them. Yeah. And so they bitch to him. He bitches to his superior officers. And um, and I thought that's kind of interesting because that I mean, that's really kind of what we we should do, you know, is not. Yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, it's good to lean on your friends. And I certainly leaned on my dad for emotional support when I was going through some of my hardest times. And he was incredible. My dad, he, he, he would li just listen to me and, and always encourage me. And, and I realized some people don't even have fathers. I mean, that was incredible for me. Yeah. Um, but he would pray for me and he would always tell me, he's like, you know, I, I just pray that God would establish you. And, I, and I've told him, like, isn't it so cool that you've gotten to see it? Because a lot of his friends have passed away. He's in his late 70s. Yeah. And I'm like, isn't it so cool that you've gotten to see it? And he was just here today with him and my aunt. We all had uh, lunch together. Um, and but that, I think that's that's what we should do. Yeah. And, even, and it says to do that. Like read yeah. the Bible, it says, cast, cast, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus yeah. says. All yeah. you who are heavy, heavily burdened. Like, come to me. And it says to cast your cares 
upon the Lord. So what, whatever those cares are, it may be yeah. your drug addiction. Yeah. It may be your sex addiction. It may be your abusive uh, partner. Yeah. You may be in a bad situation. It may be your health, you know, yeah. whatever, but whatever it is, it's your concern. It's your care. And I believe that God cares about us. And it says, cast your cares on him. But that relationship, I think is the most, you know, people say that the most important relationship that you'll ever have in your life is with yourself. That's a common theme in success books. And I've read a bunch of success books yeah, or, or books by successful people. Um, you know, is that's the most important relationship you'll ever have. I disagree because <laughs> I think you can be a train wreck and say, so, and, and sometimes God will come scoop you up anyway. Sometimes he'll yeah. come rescue you anyway, even, even yeah. though you had an awful relationship with yourself. And so yeah. I would argue that the most important relationship that you could possibly have is the one that you have with God. Yeah. That, that's what I believe. Yeah. And so, uh, and they asked Tony Robbins, you know, he's a big success guru and worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and they asked Tony Robbins one time, okay, if, if somebody had all these habits or they have all these negative patterns of thinking or they have the, and, and you know, to change your physiology or to, to change your habits, the first thing you got to do is change your physiology to get out of this state. You know, what, what would your advice be? They were like, what's the first thing somebody should do um, when they wake up in the morning, if they, if they want to sort of start changing. Right. And he, and Tony Robbins says, he's like, the first thing they need to do is change their physiology. And so he was, and you can do that by, uh, working out, like by doing something physical. Yeah. And that's true. Studies show that, uh, it's true to the extent studies show that working out is as powerful as taking antidepressants. It can be, and I'm mm -hmm. not suggesting that somebody who's truly depressed should not be on medication or that working out is going to fix it, but it might certainly help. It's helped for me. Um, but I listened to that because everything he said in that interview was incredible. And I was like, yeah, man, that, that's awesome. That's right. Like Tony Robbins, you know, he's right on. But when he said that, I was like, I disagreed. I was like, no, that's not the first thing you should do. I was like, the first thing you should do is talk to God. Yeah. And it, and it says that in the Bible too. And these are yeah. the things I've tested. These are things I've read. I wasn't sure I believe, but I've tested them. And it says, seek ye first yeah. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Well, so what are all these things? Well, if you read that passage, all of these things is in the Beatitudes, I think in Matthew, where uh, Jesus is talking about all the things that like the Gentiles care about, like where are they going to get food? Like, what are they going to wear? Like, where are they going to live? Um, and he was like, if you being evil, and some people think evil means like I'm a serial killer. Evil doesn't mean that. Evil is just the absence of God. It's like the donut hole. It's, it's, it's not anything. It's the void of God. Evil is, is what is there when you take God out. That is evil. So basically he's, he's saying, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Mm -hmm. So basically us imperfect people that are, you know, don't believe in God or whatever already know how to give good gifts. To he's like, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? And that's when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what is righteousness? Well, it's it's the way God says to live. You know, like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, you know, all these things. But we can't do that on our own because we're born into this human condition. That's why it talks about being born again, being born yeah. spiritually. Mm -hmm. It's like we're it's only by God's grace that we are able to have 
like self-discipline, for instance. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so people are like, well, I don't have the Holy Spirit, but I go to the gym five days a week. Well, that's it's all good things come from the Lord. Whether you realize it or not, that's still where it comes from, in, yeah. in my belief. Yeah. And also what it says in, in Scripture. And so you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah. And so I think God cares about people's finances. I think he cares about their relationships. I think he cares about their health. I think he cares about you know, what they wear and where you're going to sleep and all these things are so important to us. And so, you know, my experience, so that's what I've leaned on, you know, cause I, I had kind of more of an atheist brain and I still mm-hmm. kind of, my brain still kind of works that way when I look at the world, you know, in terms yeah. of what I see is what I believe. Yeah. But, um, but it, you know, it's, but I've, I've also kind of leaned into scripture when it says things like lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, meaning God, Christ, mm-hmm. And he will direct your path. So it's like, what do I do in life? Where do I go? It says, lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So what is that? How do you how do you acknowledge him in your in your ways? Well, I mean, it it starts just in the in the daily things, the things that you do on a on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's some, that. That would be my advice. Yeah. Except Jesus some... and pray. Good, good advices. Some, some good yeah. advices. So, well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you joining me on this episode and sharing your story. It's incredible story. Incredible story. A lot, and, a lot of failing. What was that? A lot of failing. Hey, that's. It takes a lot of failing to get to where we're needing to be. Yeah. I mean, let me put it that way. No, no one becomes successful. No one's born successful, right? No one. Yeah. Because if they are, they're going to fail eventually, right? Yeah. And so that failure is a part of life, and you don't know success until you know failure. And yeah. that's – it's amazing. I, I didn't know a lot of things that you shared, and it's just freaking awesome that you were able to overcome all that. And, and um, now, but before signing off, would you would you take back your delivery, Papa John's delivery job? No. If you had that option. <laughs> he loved it. So I was like, man, I wonder if he would take it back now. <laughs> oh, like like right now. No. Yeah. No, I, I did plenty of it. Yeah. I did plenty. And yeah, I've got things going now that we can talk about later. But, uh, yeah. but um, you know, yeah. more things. More things, man. I'm, yeah, I'm well, still, well, I'm still well, crying. Well, I still yeah. have dreams, you know? Yeah. I, I, what? Well, Maybe maybe I'll do another episode. Maybe I'll do another episode with you on talking about your your future path and what you got going in, yeah, in we'll your. Follow. Maybe give me maybe give me like a year, you know, so hey. there's actually like something new yeah. to talk about. Yeah, about. yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll and we'll we'll keep in touch and 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 see where where you're at currently and where you're going. We'll keep in yeah, touch. Yeah, some exciting way. stuff, man. I got yeah. a couple of coloring books on Amazon, and they've sold. I saw that. I saw that you, you had those. I, Anybody I was like, can okay. do it, man. You can create yeah. images with AI. And publish them That's and get cool. a royalty if somebody buys them. And you can run some sponsored ads, cap the ad spending limit so you don't get in over your head. And yeah, that man, is neat. like 17 coloring books in three weeks. Sweet, 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 sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm going yeah, to gonna know, pick your, I'm gonna have to pick your brain a little later on after all this. But yeah, yeah you enjoy the rest of the night. Thank you again for for sharing your story. I'm, I'm, I know 100% that it's going to make someone's life a heck of a lot better. And yeah, so, that, that's what that's I hope. Why. That's, that's why I was excited when you wanted to do this. I thought, you know, I mean, 
if if this encourages somebody, you know, like 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 my dad encouraged me. He mm-hmm. he would tell me like things are gonna get better. Yeah. And he I I trusted him because I knew he had gone through a hard time in his own life. And I thought, man, if this can encourage anybody, because I was like I said, I was um demoralized. Yeah. You know, like like at least it may, people may look at my circumstances like, man, you were living in America. You had food to eat. You had a job, even when you're struggling. But it's it, again, it wasn't so much the circumstances. It was it was the the, the length of them, the amount of time, the, all the it was yeah. all of them added up and yeah. where I was at mentally. Yeah, because you can't. I mean, you you, you got to be right in the head just to make it to work and do your job. Yeah, and and that can be. A, I know that could be a real struggle. Yeah. It's certain points in your life. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully it encourages yeah, per- oh, I 100% I know it will. There's there's a lot of people out there that that will definitely get inspired through your story. And this is what my platforms or the platform is all about is to share these inspirational stories. I and the reason why I try to connect with more people around me or let's say in the 99%ers, right? 99. Yeah. Um, is because we tend to look more at the athletes, the celebrities for inspiration. Well, they're not good examples because they don't set the right examples. Not all of them, right? Yeah. There, there, there are some really good ones out there, but there's a lot of them that are pretty, pretty poor in setting a good role, role model type of impact. And that's where I reach out to you. There's another person I reached out a few weeks ago, and then there's another guy that I had on the very first episode. He was a barber of mine, and he has very similar story upbringing, and and so I'm I'm wanting the reason why I made a platform like this is because I want to share stories like this to inspire people. Hey, take a look around you. There's inspiration yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. It is, you man. Just have a conversation with someone. You're definitely going to get inspired by doing something. We can all help each other. Yes. I have had people help me and I have helped other people. Yeah. And, and that's what we should do. That's right. That's right. So, well, thank you again. Talk to you yeah. later. Okay. And everyone that's listening, thank you all for joining. See you all at the next one. All right. Thanks, Vic. Bye.